Board of Trustees for Alameda Health System, and I'm calling the meeting to order. Can we get a roll call? Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Charland. Here. Trustee Chiquin. Here. Trustee DeVries. Here. Trustee Hernandez is absent. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Lawrence is absent. And Trustee Thompson. Here. Good Excellent. Uh, before we move on to employee recognition, I believe our CEO has a couple of critical people to introduce us to very briefly. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I guess so. Um, so, trustees, uh, obviously, um, in, in the midst of, and everyone else, um, uh, uh, we're in the midst of um, our epic journey. Uh, epic being a noun, not a verb, uh, but it is an epic journey and an, and an, and an oh, adjective, sorry. Adjective, uh, yeah. Clearly, my language arts skills didn't work out well. Um, nonetheless, uh, yeah, so we're, we're on an epic, epic journey, and uh, uh, actually, in the last thing I'll talk about is more in my update. Uh, we have been doing our sort of formal kickoff, our, our, our uh, formal launch of the effort over the last few days. And so we have the benefit of having our two partners uh, from Epic uh, who are sort of our lead um, 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 partners on the project uh, with us today. And we just did the second day of these kickoffs. And uh, they're going to be leaving shortly, but uh, we asked for the privilege to introduce them um, uh, early on so that they could be about their way. So uh, I'd like to introduce to you Trina. Johnson, who's our project director. I'm going to get the titles wrong, but I'll get the names right. But we have the project director for this engagement, right? I knew that one. Jared, you're going to not like me. Uh, so Jared Klingeisen, yeah. I got that part right, and he is the project executive. Right. I got it here. Look at that. Okay, cool. Titles matter. Uh, uh, for the project, they are fantastic resources and have been with us since February, since we officially kicked the contract off, and uh, and a lot of the team members either see them here when they've joined us here, or back in Boulder, as people have been going there for various components of their, their, their training. Uh, and there's a huge team of people behind them who support the different modules of the projects that we are, <coughs> I'm sorry, of the uh, overall project uh, uh, that, that are part of our build, and so uh, we just wanted to introduce you to them, since uh, they are going to be a major part of our lives, um, uh, at least for the next two years and probably uh, uh, even beyond that. Uh, so, so they're here. If you have any questions for them or you want to say anything to them uh, while you have them, uh, um, they're, they're happy to, to Do I have Federal trustees have some questions or thoughts? No? How do you feel about employee arbitration? <laughs> <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> it's really more painful than a normal. <laughs> how, how long have you been in town? So sorry, we were in town all week this week, so we came in on Monday, and then we're headed out shortly. Uh, so we've been here a couple times, so this is our fourth visit uh, in the last couple months since February when we joined the Great. team. And thank you for having us. Wisconsin has been miserable this winter. So. <laughs> Don't forget to bring your coats. We're yeah. ready to become summer here. So. <laughs> yeah. I hope you've spent a lot of money on our Oakland restaurants. Uh, we've got some great ones. <laughs> we are starting to learn, but we are always open for recommendations. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Trustee Jensen. Um, I just wanted to check in with you. How do you feel we're, we're progressing? Mm -hmm. Great question. So uh, I know a number of you have seen the project report that's been coming out. So there's been two of those already. So I compile that, and you are on track for your goal live so far. So you're doing a great job with staffing your project team. We are on track with kicking off the project. Uh, we had a couple big milestones this week with some of your readiness owners. And so you're doing a great job so far, and we're excited to move into the summer where you're going to start doing more design work and configuration of the system. 
Thank you. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. Yeah. Have a safe flight back. Thank you. Awesome. All right. With Thank that, uh, I believe we're ready for uh, employee recognition. Yes. We have a few people in the back, I hope. We do. Yes. Excellent. And we'll start with uh, Dr. Tribble. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Fixed glasses, yes. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, or good evening, uh, board and our leaders as well. I am very pleased to be here, and I would like to present our employees. I'll say please. <laughs> and look, I'm just going to jump in. Uh, first, can I have uh, Ms. Rita Carter please stand up? Come on up there. So I am very, very pleased to um, uh, present this to Ms. Carter. And I, I'm, I'm going to read this statement, but I wanted to give a little context before I say it because it may seem a little, little disjointed. So uh, Rita is our lead. She's lead of housekeeping, um, jack of all trades, expert to everything. And I'll say a little bit more about her work. But there was one particular event, and I don't even know if she remembers, and she may be a little embarrassed. Uh, so we're so pleased to have her, because every single thing you can imagine around EBS and housekeeping is on her radar. And, and then some, patient care. So if she sees something in the room, and some of her team members, or there's an issue of safety, or patients, or cleanliness, whatever that is, she goes above and beyond the uh, call of duty. So she doesn't believe, obviously, that her work starts with a ticket. You know, in terms of putting in a request, she actually is rounding. And so we're very proud to have her as part of the team. And one particular day, she came into our uh, daily huddle, and everyone, when she shows up, everyone's listening, because she has an important event. She said she went through a ticket of a lot, list of items, leader said we'll follow up. And one thing she said is that I have to say, I've been seeing an animal around the campus. And so, do you remember this? Yes. Yes. And so we all saw an animal because for those of them who John Jones, we have turkeys and wildlife and flora and fauna and birds and they pet your car. It's, it's, it's okay. But she said, no, I saw an animal, a striped animal, a feline, and it was rather large large, almost like um, some kind of tiger-like color. Now, of course, we have a lot of diversity at John Jewelers, so a lot of the leaders who um, are not native to the United States start to say, we have tigers! And we have, we said, no way, the zoo! The zoo's by. So everyone went ballistic, preparing to do an incident command center because they trust the words that come out of Rita's uh, mouth. She was able to say, no, I just want to let you know that when I come in on the wee hours in the morning, there is a family of wildlife, some kind of cats, that roam. So just be on guard. Make sure you're attending to the patients as they're coming in and, and beyond and above the call of duty. But it was just hilarious because anything that she says, people will take it from zero to 2008 because it's Rita Carter. So anyway, there's a small mention of that, but I just wanted to acknowledge her. Just for always being such a wonderful person and thinking of a lot of different things. That being said, Ms. Carter is very enthusiastic and dedicated to her duties. She's always prepared for an unplanned regulatory visit, as we frequently have at John George, and unforeseen events and or patient-related situations requiring the assistance of our environmental services team members. Rita has led her team with efficiency and grace. Besides attending to the activities associated with working at the John George facility, Ms. Carter shows compassion and ease when engaging with patients. She is ready to lend a hand and takes pride in her work and in the work of her colleagues. 
A regular attempt to do at the John George Huddle, she often brings to the attention of leadership subtle issues that may have gone unnoticed by other staff during regular clinical nights of the day and often identifies potential patient challenges. Again, as I mentioned, she, to her credit, she provides proactive suggestions to the team and will often come up with novel ways in which to approach a solution related to patients and is always willing to share the, share the resolution of complex duties. And as I mentioned, um, that one particular occasion, Rita and I offered suggestions during the huddle to help problem solve issues related to ensuring patient safety. She also reminded us to be more vigilant in the early and evening morning hours after she'd seen that wild title like am running the campus. <laughs> Although no harm came to patients or staff, Ms. Carter's keen eye and regard for patients, her team members, leaders, and even her life demonstrate just how compassionate, enthusiastic, and observant she is on a daily basis. Her balance of insight, humor, and professionalism brings life to any meeting space. We wholeheartedly recognize Ms. Carter for her work at John George and for being a valued member of the team. With that, I present this to you. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and although she is not here today, this um, was pretty subtle. <laughs> And although she's not here today, I just briefly want to mention uh, one of our other awardees who is not here, Lynette Longmar, she's an activity therapist. And uh, she's been here for 29 years. And so although she just retired a couple months ago, she was not able to be here because she's ill. But again, just out of respect for her, with your indulgence, I'd like to read through it because she's a bit of pleasure. Lynette Longmar is an activity therapist in the occupational therapy department at John George. She first joined Alley Health System 29 years ago during the first two years of her employment with AHS. She used she worked as an activity therapist in the skilled nursing Fairmont at Highland, excuse me, Fairmont Hospital. There she devoted her time to enhance the quality of life to the residents of skilled nursing. She brought smiles, enjoyment, and motivation through the activities she brought to the residents. Since moving over to John George 19 years ago, Lynette has worked at John George Psychiatric Hospital's patients in an effort to bring leisure and recreation back into the lives of the individuals who perhaps as a result of their mental illness may have found it difficult to find joy or again understand the meaning of a healthy life with balance. Lynette is sought after, or was at the time, sought after by her patients as she's passionate, enthusiastic, and engaging in her approach to work. Her contagious positive outlook drives patients to her activity groups. Her co-workers look to Lynette as a team player who can motivate improve mood and promote socialization for some of the most difficult patients through her use of music, song, dance, games, and physical activity. In early 2017, she was recognized as employee of the quarter for John George, where she was honored for her patient-centered approach to care, positive attitudes, and her ability to encourage patients. Ms. Lenina has also um, said it many times, I love my job. And it was obviously true, as it showed every day in the work and interactions with patients and colleagues. The only regret they, uh, our, our team had in nominating her for that was that she, was, she would be retiring initially a few weeks ago, and so she has since moved on. But her occupational therapy and activity colleagues would have missed her and will miss her for the bright light in the department, her kindness, respect toward others, her commitment to the mental health patient to make a difference in their day, and the positive approach she brings to the job. Lena's work is missed and has been missed, and it will never be forgotten. We wish her all the best in her new journey of retirement where she can devote her time to her family, her faith, 
at her love of YouTube-created makeup tutorials. Thank you, Ms. Lynette. I'm sure you hear this bill for your 29 years of service to HS in our community. Thank you for indulging me. Good afternoon, or good evening, trustees. I also had two to present, but unfortunately, uh, Jennifer couldn't be with us tonight, so we will honor her on the next round. I would, though, like to bring up Debbie Parrish. Debbie is uh, a clinical nurse, too, in our ICU, and she was nominated by uh, her leadership team. And I will say, when I read this, this was the best example I've ever read to you regarding caring in this organization. Let me tell you the story. On Sunday, May 13th, Debbie Parrish was assigned to care for a patient who was critically ill, but still awake and able to speak. As she prepared for an end-of-life measure with the patient, she was informed the patient's husband was admitted to the eighth floor. While unsure of how long her patient would survive, Debbie quickly went to work on trying to find a way to ensure the partners could have a few moments together before it was too late. There was one complication that prevented bringing the patients together, that being the dying patient's husband was in isolation and could not be allowed to come to the ICU for any last visit. Debbie worked closely with her charge nurse and the infection prevention team to brainstorm ideas on how to allow these two patients to have a few lasting moments together. Ideas were tossed around, such as FaceTime, Skype, phone calls. But while these were great ideas, none were the answers she was looking for. As she knew, we were an organization that stood by its mission of caring and serving all. Later that day, the infection prevention director was able to confirm that Debbie could take her patient to the eighth floor to visit with her husband. Debbie coordinated the visit with the bedside nurse on the eighth floor and was able to escort the ICU patient to visit with her husband for over three hours on Sunday. There was not a dry eye in the room. The following day, Debbie was assigned to the same patient in the ICU. She again arranged for her patient to visit the loved one on the eighth floor. They spent several hours together that day and said their goodbyes. Later that evening, Debbie's patient passed away in the ICU. Lori Fordell, our director in the ICU, writes, it's times like this that reminds us of why we went into the profession of nursing. It was not just to heal the body of others, but to heal the soul when needed. Being alone to die should never be the right answer, and as an exceptional nurse, Debbie took the time to make sure her patient was provided with the most outstanding service possible. We can't thank her enough for being a part of our team. Can we get a round of applause for Debbie? Thank you for your work. Really, truly, thank you. I think nurses rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Good afternoon, I'm the Director of Nursing at Alameda Hospital. Today I'm here to present the rock star of Alameda, registered nurse, Steve Ann. Steve, would you please join me? 
Steve owns the nursing emergency department at Alameda Hospital. Steve has worked at Alameda Hospital for over 30 years in different capacities, such as as a relief house supervisor and as an ED nurse manager. Steve maintains his advanced certification as a CN, which is Certified nursing, um, Emergency Nursing Certification, and now working on obtaining his bachelor degree in nursing. Steve is part of multi multiple committees such as Unibase Council for Emergency Department and um, System Level Clinical Practice Council that discuss care delivery in nursing practice. Steve is very dedicated, compassionate, and demonstrates excellent clinical skills. skills. Steve has a strong leadership skills and has high standard. He is highly respected by his colleagues, paramedics, and Alameda Fire and Police Departments. On Friday, May 4th, Steve and a colleague were having breakfast at South Shore Cafe when a retired police officer stopped at their table. The officer shook Steve's hand and said, thank you for everything you do in the ER and for the community. I've seen you work over the years and how you are with the patients and you do a fantastic job. You are just the kind of nurse we all need. Steve can care for anyone who comes to the ED. Code 3, Code Blue, Pediatric, Psych patient, Pregnant patient, Union, Trauma patient. He can take care of all types of patients. He makes the workflow less stressful for the staff. He is an excellent resource person. He listens and strives for excellence. He inspires others by his intelligence, diligence, honesty, and his commitment to the excellence of mercy. Steve is an exemplary teacher and has inspired others to consider nursing as a professional career. A peer of Steve's started as MNC, which is a certified nursing assistant, and worked with Steve indirectly. He witnessed Steve caring nature, exemplary service, and dedication to his patients. Steve was his inspiration to obtain his RN license, and after receiving it, he chose to work in the ED because Steve was a very good mentor. He is forever thankful for all the things that he has learned from Steve. Steve is rare and valued as of Alameda Hospital in the professional practice of nursing. So please join me to honor Steve Ahn. Thank you. Good afternoon all. My name is Sayyid Hussain. I'm a manager at Fairmont, uh, Fairmont Hospital. And I'm proud to introduce one of my nominating star, Shana Wood. She's a financial and legal social, social worker. Shana Wood assisting the school nursing facility residents in finding a place where they can be safely discharged and have a support system in place is not an easy task. Shana is tenacious in working with a resident in exploring various programs and resources that are available in the community. She partners with the medical social worker and the rest of the interdisciplinary team for weeks and at times for months to set up a successful discharge plan. She is creative in finding resources. She would met an employee who is looking to donate pieces for furniture with a resident. 
who is anticipating to be discharged to the community so that the resident will have a livable home. This month, Sheena started facilitating housing workshop and opened the class session to the resident and to their loved ones so that they so that the residents are reunited with their families in the community. So please join me to, uh, to honor Shinawood to, to be our nominated staff. That's it. We had a few others that, that we were going to present from um, a couple of therapists from San Leandro, but they were unable to make it today, so we'll, we'll okay. hold on to those. Right. Thank you all for your work. It really, it's just a pleasure to have you, and, and really, we are, uh, it's a pleasure to honor you, so really do appreciate it. Um, I think now it's time for open session, and um, I think I have a couple of people here that want to speak tonight, uh, according to my pile. And so, um, we advertise that each speaker gets three minutes, um, and, but we also advertise that we only have 20 minutes on the section, and there are 10 of you, which would um, take a little bit longer. So I'm going to just ask that you voluntarily uh, try to limit your comments to two minutes if you can. If you can't, that's fine, but just something to consider just so that we can make sure we hear from everybody, because I don't want to make people wait until the end of the meeting for, for more open comment. I really do want to have you all do it now so you can probably get on with your day or your evening, as it were. Um, so uh, first, um, uh, is it Olivia Gaussi? Is that correct? Hi. Hi. Okay. Hi, Olivia. I'm going to bring Wendy up. Um, so don't start the timing. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy's going to speak on behalf of our department. There are four of us. Okay. Are you are you in here as well? You can take my name. Okay. Great. Great. Fantastic. Then have at it. Okay. Uh, good evening, board of trustees. I'm Wendy Peterson. I'm a nurse practitioner. I've been here at um, the health system since 2013. I started working in teledermatology to help out with a leave of absence in 2015, 2014. And uh, teledermatology, as um, many of you know, was brought in because we had an acceptably long wait time for, uh, for the full practice of dermatology. It was over, over a year and uh, 2,000 patients long. At one point, and teledermatology allowed us to use nurse practitioners to do the initial intake and then basically instantly consult with other human dermatologists to expedite their care. And we triage them either by managing them as nurse practitioners or getting them to clinic with an MD where we could do a biopsy or systemic management or whatever was indicated for the patient. And this did expand access pretty efficiently. And we brought down the wait time to less than two weeks. Um, over the course of a couple of years. Uh, then we lost our staff dermatologist at Highland and the wait time went back up significantly and my uh, colleague Wendy Lucky, while we were uh, trying to this population out of East Moon who we were asked to expand the, point, uh, expand the service uh, about two years ago and we expanded it to five days a week at Highland uh, with a team that, of what is now comprised of uh, three nurse practitioners, one physician assistant, and one part-time uh, physician, uh, part-time dermatologist. We have five days a week of inpatient coverage uh, that we're able to offer through the nurse practitioners being uh, five days a week in PA. Uh, we're uh, in the process. We're understanding that uh, this, this service is now going to be dismantled 
um, and restructured uh, to uh, streamline costs and that one dermatologist uh, will fill the role uh, that we've been providing for the last several years. We have tremendous concerns about the uh, well-being of the patients that we've been taking care of. Uh, a lot of people think that dermatology is cosmetic or rations, and we take care of pa patients who have debilitating, disfiguring, disfiguring, and sometimes uh, life-limiting or life-threatening conditions. Um, and so we have tremendous concerns about the reduction of access and what that's going to mean because my colleagues and I have been through it before. We saw what happened to these patients the last time we didn't have enough access. And we saw what they were like by the time we actually needed a little pathology. Um, so we're going to go from, say, last month we saw 470 patients on three sites. Uh, the plan is to go down to one site where one dermatologist sees patients two days a week. That would be a maximum of 32 slots per week. If we allow for the fact that telemetrology could be replaced eventually by Rubicon, which will roll out in the fall, but only two months when this program is ending, uh, then we go down to something like, if we, t if we pull out all of the patients who are being followed at a high acuity level, co-managed by the MD and nurse practitioners, we have about 70 slots a week for those patients. And we do use those slots. And so again, we're talking about going down to a total of 32 slots um, per week for all patients, both new and returning. Um, we get about 50 referrals a week in dermatology. And until Rubicon is fully functioning and up and running, we have some tremendous concerns that our patients are going to be dropped, that we, we will not have adequate uh, transition for them to continue with the care that we've started. Since we expanded this program, we've been able to increase the kinds of therapies that we provide. We've got patients with hydroelectricity that are in Humana doing well, being co-managed with surgery. That's the first time we've ever done that here. We have patients on Accutane, which previously wasn't available. We have patients on systemics and biologics that we can only do through this team-based approach because it requires multiple people to get this through insurance and to manage them and get the labs and everything. So I'm here not to pay for my job because I know I'll be okay. But I'm here to play for my patients, which we've worked very hard to take care of for the last few years, and to make sure that the board is aware that um, their access is, uh, is facing a significant decrease. And we would just like to plead for any uh, additional consideration in uh, trying to make this a safe transition for our patients. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, can we also add that Rubicon does not map with Epic? That's their plan, and they haven't pulled it out. Okay, thank you. Um, I do have also uh, Toby Marr, I think, also speaking on the same item. Yeah, I'll try to sort them by topic. Uh, I've also got Patrick Unemori. Uh, Unemori, that's right. So I'm Patrick Unemori. Uh, I'm the dermatologist here. Um, thanks to the board of trustees and the leaders for giving me a chance to speak. Uh, as Wendy talked about, we brought in teledermatology with great success of, of, of decreasing the backlog of over 2,000 patients to zero currently, and decreasing the wait time, as she said, from over 12 months uh, to just three to seven days now. We also established a board service inpatient dermatology consult service. Uh, the teledermatology service uses photos as means of triaging patients as follows. Number one, back to the primary care provider. Number two, back to the mid-level. Number three, back to a combination of mid-level and MD, or number four, back to the MD. 
This system maximizes cost by cutting down MD referrals to 25% of total referrals and allows chronic, less acute patients to be managed by the mid-levels. Mid-levels are clearly crucial for this model and for the inpatient consult service where they are first call. This model was vetted financially and found to be profitable a few years ago, so it's expanded. The success of this model resulted in deployment at flanking counties, including San Mateo, San Francisco, as well as institutions around the country and the world, including Duke, UT Austin, University of Indiana, and the UK. More recently, the model here became unsustainable financially through no fault of ours, as financial problems were uncovered at Highland. However, uh, quite recently, as of May 10th, designation for FQHC reimbursals are now back to full at Eastmont and Hayward. Why not continue this service at Eastmont and Hayward where we already have dermatology infrastructure? Dismantling this innovative, successful service is unconscionable given the renewed availability of FQHC monies and the danger that disturbance poses to patient access and care. As Wendy alluded to, we have many patients with conditions which are life-limiting and life-threatening. Please help explain why a functional and successful innovative service which has been found profitable and deployed in other institutions is being dismantled. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I also have uh, Wendy Luke uh, Wallway. Oh, she left. Okay. <coughs> Just, I, I've never had to work somewhere where I've had to tell my patients, okay, we have a three-month follow-up for you, hopefully, because we were told that we have 60 days left to be here. And either we'd be reassigned or we would be laid off, one of those two. And I just want you guys to know that this is happening, because I haven't heard it happening that much in other areas of healthcare, and I want you guys to know that this is going to directly affect patient care, and it's not acceptable. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, we don't normally speak in open comment back to what people speak on. It's, it's actually a, a, a violation of the Brown Act, but I will just uh, ask our, our CMO, is this something that was worthy of conversation at QPSC or during the budget uh, discussion? Just for the, uh, for just for, for knowledge, for the board's sake. Yeah, we can uh, talk in the budget uh, discussion. About we can. Model. Yeah, I guess so. What, I don't know. What do you think? I'm fine with that. Okay. Just because it, this is obviously, I assume this is wrapped up in the fiscal year in the budget? Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, all right. I have um, uh, Karen Rothblatt. And I'm just going to read the rest of the names. Lisa Lafave. Uh, Nav Kangur, um, Sabrina Hoffman, and Tracy Ganapolsky. Uh, in that order. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening to the Board of Trustees and their leaders. Hi, my name is Karen Rothblatt, and I have been a registered nurse at Alameda Hospital for over 29 years. <coughs> I'm here to speak to you this evening about a very important matter concerning nurses and union workers all across the country. As I am sure you have uh, become aware, the Supreme Court will be ruling very soon on Janus versus Aftsman. A bad ruling in this case will further exacerbate the economic disparities that already exist, particularly in the Bay Area. And it will hurt the patient population that, is our mission, that it is our mission to serve. It is a proven fact that human density and economic well-being in a geographic area are directly correlated. 
in areas where, <coughs> excuse me, in areas where there is significant union presence, wages are overall higher, infant mortality is lower, and workplace injuries are fewer. One could say that unions are the rising tide that lifts all boats. A bad ruling in Janus versus Smith will hurt union and non-union workers, and it will hurt our community. It is our moral obligation and the mission of AHS to ensure the well-being of the people that we serve. It is what we strive for as board members and as leaders and what we strive for as nurses every day. Historically, CNA union nurses and management have worked respectfully together to resolve issues that impact our patients and our staff. I firmly believe that we can continue on the path of working collaboratively and collectively no matter how the court rules on the Jonas case. Therefore, in the spirit of working together to best serve our community, we ask that the board at the next board meeting, or your next board meeting, adopt the resolution that we have proposed. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, members and trustees. Uh, my name is Lisa Lefebvre. I've worked at San Leandro Hospital for the last 27 years. The nurses at San Leandro Hospital, as you well know, have gone through uh, many ups and downs and various ownerships over the years, but throughout we've maintained our commitment to the patient population we serve. Ultimately, as nurses and caregivers, we're committed to providing excellent care to our patients despite their socioeconomic status. And I firmly believe that the Board of Trustees shares that common goal with us, with us. and for that reason, I'd like to echo uh, my union sister, Karen Rohrblatt, and we urge the Board to adopt the resolution as presented. <coughs> Incidentally, on another note and following, we most recently uh, have been putting our best foot forward to work with management at San Leandro Hospital to avoid the layoff of over nine nurses. Uh, and the rebuilding in med surgery unit due to the construction of a rehab unit on the third floor, as you well know. We feel very strongly that San Leandro Hospital management can do better uh, for our patients, and the laying off of nine nurses is not the solution. The nurses at San Leandro Hospital could easily go to another facility where, where they will earn exponentially more. However, our nurses are firmly committed to our institution and the population that we serve. Many research articles have shown and demonstrated that it costs close to $80,000 to hire and train a new nurse. So why would we want to lay off nurses only to hire them again within the year. This decision made by our management is not prudent and it is not wise. It does a disservice to our patients. We were just notified today, after repeated meetings with management, that tomorrow they will institute the rebuild process so that the new schedule of, on July 1st will come out, despite our repeated Reminders that we have a contract in place that formally and clearly outlines a reduction in employment process. This has been totally ignored. 
it is not acceptable. Um, it has been done without meaningful bargaining with the union because management has to meet their July 1st budget. Over $20 million was taken from San Leandro to build the rehab unit, and now management is going to compromise patient care by laying off nine employees in order to compensate for it. Management's gone rogue um, and shown total disregard for the contract that they have agreed to uphold. We, we really ask the board to intervene on this measure for um, the betterment of our patients, for their care, and for their safety, and I thank you. Thank you. Good evening, uh, members of the board. My name is Nath Kungua. I'll be speaking on behalf uh, of my uh, co-workers regarding the issue of layoffs and rebuilding at Sayanda Hospital and the MedSurge unit. And uh, I would like you to know that we are always addressing our patients as individuals, as names, not numbers. But here we are, we have been sorted, in, sorted into numbers as staff. Uh, there's a posting, there was a number sent out to us, and there was a posting of our seniority dates, and uh, us sorted into numbers. We are not numbers, we are individuals. And going forward with that, um, we really want to know that where is the overage? We are all we are consistently being reached out by the uh, management as via text messages or via email asking us to work, um, stay over, asking us to uh, pick up shifts, um, and we've had um, shortage of staff on the day shift, evening shift, and uh, night shift, and uh, they're going to accept over time. So we. So where is the overage? That's what we want to know. And the other issue I want to say is that um, there's a, in our ED, our ED is very much overwhelmed with the um, um, staffing. They're, they're very short of staff. Nurses are working double shifts to um, make up for the um, amount of patients they're receiving. And because of the closure, they have med surge patients sitting on their, in, in their unit without because they don't have beds available. So we, um, so again, I would like to say, where, where is the overage? We can we, you know, there's a lot of other resolutions that can take place to avoid this um, rebuilding and layoffs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me. I'm uh, Sabrina Hoffman. I'm in the radiology department at Highland Hospital. And I want to speak about, about uh, uh, some dysfunction that's been going on in our department for quite a while. I'm going to list management that we have gone through in less than four years since I've been hired in November of 2014. <laughs> Board managers, Ruben Beza, Marissa Kasi, who is a Mercado, Shinir Rump. Eight supervisors, Michelle McDowell, Michelle Niampali, Marissa Kasi, who was the interior manager for a moment. Timothy Nipper, Lucy Ortiz, Veronica Mankata, John Carnes, who just recently resigned, and Johnny Sung, who is a radiologic technologist and who has been an interim supervisor um, 
briefly at two times. That's 12 management positions in less than four years. Under the director, Heather Duke, um, and that kind of speaks for itself. It's an appalling lack of continuity in our management, which directly, directly affects how we are organized in our department. We're continuously understaffed. And we have six x-ray rooms, or I'm sorry, four x-ray rooms, two CT scanners in the new hospital building with two techs typically running it in the morning. We have two x-ray rooms in the ER, one CT scanner in the ER with only two techs staffed there in the mornings. We have three CMs in the OR, one we just recently bought, where we only have two techs running them. That was just recently. We're supposed to have three techs. We never hired the third tech. So um, that was actually just uh, reported to us in the meeting that we're only going to have two techs now that we spent the money on the third CM. And we have four portable machines with nobody to do portables in the morning because we typically have one tech, one tech who runs the outpatient x-ray room, the outpatient portal rooms, and who supervises a student as well on top of that. And they're supposed to be doing portables for ICU, floor patients, PACU patients. Um, I just want to reiterate that this is not acceptable to our community. It's not acceptable for the patients, for patient safety, patient care. And I just want to think, um, I want you to think about if those were your loved ones and how you would want them to be cared for. Um, it's unsafe. So thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Tracy Donopolsky, and I also work in the radiology department. I'm going to read and try to read this fast. I've been an x-ray tech for 17 years, and I've been here for 10. I want all of you to imagine that you've just come into the hospital, and you need an x-ray or CAT scan. You look at your watch, and you say, wow, I've been waiting for three hours. When the technologist calls your name, you ask, why is it taking so long? The tech tells you that they are short-staffed and very sorry for your wait. Unfortunately, this does not console the patient. It just makes them angry and frustrated. They tell us to hurry up, which also can lead to errors. This happens daily here. Our core staff on the day shift has just been changed from 10 techs to 9. These techs have to cover the entire hospital, including the ER CAT scan, ER X-ray, outpatient and inpatient X-ray, outpatient and inpatient CAT scan, the OR, portable X-rays, and sometimes mammography. That adds up to 11 areas of work. That three days a week, a tech is taken out of our department to cover Fairmont Hospital's X-ray needs, which leaves eight. The numbers don't add up, right? The morale department has been extremely low for the past six to seven years. We have constant turnover of both fellow co-workers and management. Six people have gone over the last six months. No management team seems to stay longer than a year. It's very frustrating to us when the supervisor tells us that their, quote, hands are tied. When they try to support us. This frustration eventually leads to their departure. From our latest manager that was a that was surprisingly terminated by being told by labor relations that she, she told me, I knew my day was coming because I refused to go along with her horrible toxic behavior. This person was an x-ray tech, had a BS in radiologic technology, and was about to finish her master's in our field. She also said she was obviously a threat. Our managers have had similar things to say prior to their departure. When most of the staff was hired over the last few years, they were hired on varied shifts. However, when a traveler comes in, they are, they are accommodated for. 
They have weekends off, they get their vacations, and they can pick when and where they wanted to work. Some only did CT and no X-ray or four at all, which is a requirement for full-time staff. We feel our director has no respect for her current full-time employees. She's constantly having her management beg us for, to work overtime or fill shifts that were never even put on the schedule, as holes in the schedule. As a working tech, I know how hard a shift can be with no breaks and sometimes no relief for lunch at all. This causes exhaustion, which can lead to mistakes and be dangerous to the patients. Why would we want to stay day after day to cover shifts that were known to be short prior to the schedule? We feel our director is not qualified for her position and has taken stop calling me. Uh, has taken on too many departments to head to fully understand how our job should be. I would like you to consider hiring a new director just for our radiology department that has experience as an X-ray tech and knows how to schedule and keep employees. Thank you. Thank you. Is that it? That was Tracy, the last one you talked. Uh, no, oh no, Patrick went already, you're right. Okay, thank you so much. <coughs> yes, thank you. Um, all right, I think uh, we're onto our medical staff reports, right? Yes? Yes. Can I go Rosie and Bo to see you guys first? Um, so I'll continue uh, for the discussion for uh, open session for the general board meeting. We've uh, continued to, uh, as was mentioned before, uh, move forward with our EPIC implementation. Uh, and we've identified our, all of our four, um, four managers and uh, in addition, the EHR Center, the Creekside Center uh, for the implementation team has also uh, been open. So uh, we have a lot of uh, training that has uh, continued on at, a, at an appropriate pace, and we're, we're very happy about that. In addition, we've continued the Clinical Standardization for Excellence program, uh, again, to sort of modify and unify uh, our border sets. Um, an ongoing discussion in our MEC is, uh, is wellness and wellness issues we all uh, have heard me perhaps drone on about it uh, many different times, but we recognize that it's a, it's a problem. I'm happy to report that at this point we have secured uh, funding for uh, a uh, half-time counselor uh, from about eight different sources. Um, we, medical staff, uh, in addition to um, GME, wellness, uh, AHP, uh, as well as the CMO's um, office. Uh, so we've, we've in, in, the, in the many hands make light work uh, kind of motif. Uh, there's a few thousand dollars here, a few thousand dollars there, uh, but we've come up with enough funding we, we feel to actually create a half-time wellness uh, uh, counselor position. This will be a director for resident and medical staff uh, wellness programs. So not only a counselor, um, this will be a psychologist level position, um, not only counseling, but also to coordinate wellness programs sort of throughout the system. Um, um, and this will be at all, uh, hopefully, all sites. Um, so we think that this is going to be a tremendous, uh, tremendous improvement. And in addition, we also have a long-term vision for a wellness center uh, that, uh, that over the course of the next few years, we're going to develop a uh, um, uh, capital campaign, that sort of thing, to, to actually have like funding and a, and a physical space for a wellness center. Um, so we have we have some grant plans. Um, in addition, we have uh, we've we've had a lot of discussion about chair and chief 
leadership development. Uh, Tony Redmond came to the chair's huddle to talk about uh, plans to um, include all the chairs for uh, Leadership Academy, and we're really uh, pleased to, to, to say that that was very well received by our chairs. Um, again, in academic medicine, um, it's very rare to get uh, um, this kind of leadership training in a lot of different areas uh, beyond medicine. These are things that aren't traditionally taught in medical school, um, and we're really happy to, um, to, to get this information and to get this training, so uh, we're very happy about that. Um, in addition, uh, we had a report from the Utilization and Care Management, uh, Sheila, who we heard from at QPSC, uh, had a nice uh, report about that. In addition, um, a couple of final points. Our surge plan has been uh, working uh, uh, remarkably well over the last uh, last couple of years. I've spent some time talking about the, 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 the plan. We have discussed the possibility of actually increasing the, or the scope. Right now, the surge plan um, really relies only on the emergency department overcrowding score, which I'm a huge fan of as an emergency physician. Um, <laughs> But clearly, uh, hospital overcrowding um, is not just at the ED level. Um, hospital overcrowding involves an ICU, and, and, and so if the ICU is full and the PACU is full, there are clearly other things that can affect um, our bed status and our overcrowding status. So we're starting to have those conversations uh, in MEC about uh, sort of how to, um, how to look at uh, broader pictures, and, and uh, we've been very happy with those discussions. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll give you more updates as those happen. And then finally, we had um, our departmental report from OBGYN. It's just an amazing department. has done some really, really fantastic work over the last few years. And so just a few highlights as, you'll, um, as are in your packets. Uh, the visit volume from 2017 to 2018 uh, uh, went from, is going from 31,000 to a projected 34, uh, 34,400. Access for uh, the TNAA uh, clinic visits went from 34 days in October of 2017 to 13 days uh, in April of 2018. A tremendous improvement. Uh, really, really uh, proud, uh, uh, and as they should be of that. Um, in addition, they've had a number of, uh, uh, of they do a, a tremendous amount of coverage of um, uh, labor and delivery as well as prenatal clinics at all the four AHS wellness centers for both low risk and high risk pregnancies. They have a perinatology service that does uh, tremendous work. Um, in addition, they are involved in 10 of the prime metrics, uh, both inpatient and ambulatory perinatal metrics. Um, also, they had the baby-friendly uh, redesignation in March of uh, 2018 for another five years, one of the very few uh, Bay Area uh, hospitals to get that designation. Um, so it's a, an incredible achievement. Um, they shared some challenges about uh, you know, declines in clinic procedures and staffing and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I think um, all in due course, they're, uh, they're really set up to, to do very well. Um, they're lined up to actually become a, a rotation site for the Kaiser OBGYN residency, uh, which is actually really interesting, um, uh, which is basically to add a junior OBGYN resident to help. Uh, so they will supervise them and actually have um, additional uh, momentum as a training site. They already are a training site for the UCSF medical students. Uh, and so this sort of uh, further facilitates their, um, their teaching mission and goes along with, uh, with of course, our core mission, uh, which is really fantastic because it, right now um, the, the OBGYN department is the number one rated clinical rotation site uh, for the UCSF medical students. So um, it's just a, it was just a wonderful report, uh, really sort of celebrating and reveling in their successes and looking forward to the future. It's been a, it's been a, a remarkable journey. 
um, and we're also um, in the final stages of the uh, the chair search for the no for the new OBGYN department, uh, which is fascinating because of all of this improvement has happened, um, uh, especially over the last year with an interim chair present. So uh, that concludes my report. I have a quick question. So that um, access change is phenomenal. They can't all be templates, can it? Like what? What do you? What do you? What do you attribute it to, uh, Dr. K? Uh, so uh, we we had uh, one is really standardization of the template, uh, elimination of uh, clinic cancellation policy, where whenever uh, a clinic uh, is to be cancelled, uh, you know we have like 90 days, and we do backup treating the clinic like the intensive care unit. You know, intensive care unit you don't use, so you don't need the clinic. Uh, and lastly, we had. Uh, uh, restructuring, we had a procedure clinic that had very low volume, it was very staffed, so we compacted those procedures, uh, elective procedures, to one half day, and we opened the rest of the uh, days for, for, uh, for access. Wow. That's great. Yeah. I mean, uh, people sometimes are not happy, so they come out <laughs> Okay, any questions? Thank you. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, for uh, San Andrew Medical Staff, uh, we um, had a presentation from uh, David Masson from uh, Automeda um, Health Foundation. And uh, he's, uh, we are undergoing a uh, fundraising uh, event uh, trying to raise $4 million for uh, San Diego Hospital by the year of 2020. And uh, the, uh, those funds, uh, $1 million for the rehab equipments, uh, in addition to the $27 million as earmarked for the uh, rehab floor, and $3 million for the re uh, new imaging uh, equipments and 100,000 for scholarship for uh, graduating uh, senior from uh, Alameda, uh, from San Diego uh, High School uh, for, uh, for pursuing a healthcare field. And so we'll be uh, embarking on those uh, project. And uh, then uh, we also uh, are getting ready for our joint commission, which could happen any time between now and uh, the end of the year. And uh, this mock tracer survey readiness, I just participated in a tracer in the ED department. And it's quite extensive. You open every drawer, and it could be anything. They look at expiration dates and make sure that fire, no, um, extinguisher is not blocked, uh, the uh, electrical panel are not blocked, and oxygen tanks, so forth. So we are uh, embarking on those uh, projects. And uh, that's uh, my report. Thank you. Any questions? No? I can't wait to hear about that day they all show up. <laughs> <laughs> Unknown, which you have to win. Dr. Magalan. Uh, good evening, trustees, for um, Alameda Hospital Medical Staff uh, report. Um, we, uh, we 
given updates and are continuing to participate in the um, uh, clinical uh, standardization process and work groups as well as with the uh, EPIC work groups uh, that are um, uh, system-wide. Uh, we also um, have a report and discussion uh, from the transfer center to give us updates as to uh, where we are um, with the transfer of patients between um, the three hospitals in the system and um, you know some uh, uh, things that we needed to do on our end to uh, improve the uh, transfer of patients uh, as well as um, uh, issues that we discussed of um, having um, I think one of the things that we uh, were uh, we pointed out was uh, we have the um, the one of the issues where patients are not being transferred to Canfield to Alameda was the um, the bed availability and staffing um, issues from nurses. So that's an area where um, we can improve on uh, to help uh, offload uh, Highland when they have surges. Um, our our bylaws committees are continuing to meet and. Um, uh, focusing on reviewing and revising our governance structure um, to involve and reflect uh, current changes with legislative and regulatory uh, changes um, and uh, again aligning it with um, what the system you know, being part of the system and incorporating best practices into our medical staff organization. Uh, we also discussed the uh, medical staff retreat which um, we have all agreed to um, do it on October 13. That's going to be half day, and we're uh, discussing uh, topics that we uh, want to um, include in, the, in this retreat for the three medical staff, uh, which uh, will include wellness and burnout, uh, credentialing uh, issues to be um, updated with the current regulatory changes, and um, as well as incentivizing quality and uh, blame reporting uh, to um, be in line with the culture of safety. That's basically my report. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions from the trustees? No? Um, I think the retreat planning sounds exciting. Uh, all of you. Was it, would this be your first retreat uh, to, all yes. together? All together. It, it may be the first retreat for any of our MECs, even individually. Really? Yeah. It's not something typically that MECs um, we so have a lot of experience yeah. at it. We can give you some questions. You're welcome. You, you're welcome to come and hear about credentialing. Yeah. Uh, well, are you going to do somewhere special? Uh, we don't know yet. <laughs> it depends on yeah, the, the location and, you know. All right. That's great. Sure. Uh, that, that is, I think, really, I wouldn't encourage him to go to Carmel at this particular moment. I think. Um, I, I just think it's exciting, again, on our road to becoming a network, uh, the fact that all of you will be meeting together is just, I just think that's that's fantastic to hear, and I, I hope it's a blast. And if there is a role for the board to play, you know, to stop by and pay a visit, let us know. I mean, we have until October to figure that out. So uh, we don't want to intrude on your work, um, but certainly we want to show our support. So That'd be great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate thank thank you. you. All right. Um, with that, I think... Um, it's time for my report, which will be extremely short. Um, mostly, I want to just remind everyone that we have a gala coming up. 
Um, I um, think almost everyone is, is going to be going there. I think one of us has to be out of town, but um, I, I, two, of us have to be out, two of us have to be out of town, but they're going to spend their spouses, right? They're spending money. Or the money, that's right. You just buy a ticket. You don't have to use it. Um, I also want to encourage everyone to uh, bring your wine, uh, uh, some several bottles uh, or a case even, um, to either Rana or to Delver directly uh, in Franklin Gallo Falls. I know I'll be bringing my wine by next week. Um, I will hit that mo this weekend. Yeah, um, uh, yeah okay, cool. <laughs> I'll probably bring some home for myself too. Uh, I think it's that time. Uh, and also, if anyone has any other uh, notable gifts that they'd like to donate for the auction, um, you know, uh, weekend at a condo, Raiders season tickets, whatever, um, you'll take it, right? Yes, absolutely. Right, right. And so, yeah, considering uh, the foundation has been so supportive of us and will be essentially buying our electronic health record over the next five years, right? Um, we we really want to give them as much. So I, I really just want to encourage everyone to, to share and to encourage friends. There's still room if people want to register if they haven't, correct? Yes, right. they can do it online. Excellent. And it looks like a really fun event. Um, I hope to have the stamina to make it to the dancing part. I didn't last year, but I did the year before. So I've been working out extra so I can make it all the way through. Yeah. I'll YouTube it for those who aren't there. That, that's right. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, and with that, we'll move on to Del Vecchio. That was fun. Um, I look forward to it. Uh, good, good evening, uh, Justice again. Uh, I will try to list through the report knowing that we have a full agenda and uh, closed session as well. Uh, apologies in advance that <coughs> some of the weather deck you, you didn't receive. Obviously, the, um, the dashboard we, we got out to you in advance, and that's the one that takes a little bit more of the deeper dive. The rest of it is more. Uh, systemic uh, uh, updates of things that have occurred over the last month. So uh, happy to, to share those with you. So moving along, uh, just as I said, uh, April dashboard uh, will be the first part. The second part is a few system update uh, items worth noting, and then third, uh, to give you an update on uh, epic performance status uh, or project status uh, um, uh, in addition to what you already heard earlier today. So on the dashboard, again, uh, you have it before you, but you also have it in board of so you've had uh, uh, a chance to review this. Um, nothing I really wanted to point out in particular this month, actually, just to say that I hope that we're able to see uh, from the month to date and eventually year to date perspective, we're, we're getting, excuse me, getting great traction and uh, experiencing a lot of favorable uh, results on a month, to, uh, month basis in our, uh, just about every area. There are a few areas where we um, continue to experience a few. Uh, um, sort of challenges, uh, one of those being um, with the waiver, we're, we're up to 53 of the 57, so we've showed continued progress on the uh, the particular metrics that are either uh, performing at or above the target for the year, uh, so we're happy with that performance. Um, uh, we're not clear if we'll get to entirely the full 57, I think there are two in particular uh, that we're a little bit concerned about, but uh, steady performance and great work overall uh, for our clinicians, uh, primarily in, in and outpatient uh, uh, areas 
as behavioral and post-acute as well. Um, the other area that's a little bit concerning uh, for, from a trend perspective are each cap scores and our uh, behavioral health scores. Um, uh, we experienced a bit of a dip uh, this month at Highland uh, in each caps, um, where in the month of April, a lot of it um, attributable, we believe, to our high census, where uh, we did have uh, patients uh, really uh, in two main areas, the EB and, and the OR, uh, sort of backed up because of the, uh, the uh, uh, full census in-house, and while we did some things to uh, sort of mitigate uh, some of the noise and other um, challenges that patients experience, point in fact, there were still uh, tough times, and we think the, um, the survey results reflected that. Uh, and other areas, uh, a few spots here and there, where hopefully we'll be able to turn the tide. I should say the last one I'll point out in terms of a, uh, a concern right now is uh, readmission, 30 day readmission. Uh, uh, while there's a lot of great work happening in terms of uh, the care coordination team, along with the multidisciplinary group, to look at uh, readmissions. Again, uh, at Highland, we had a bit of a spike in this uh, past month of readmissions that uh, brought our performance to above the target that we have for, for the month and for the year. So. But otherwise, in other areas, uh, doing well, and uh, as we noted, and we reported the Finance Committee, uh, experienced uh, a, a, a significant improvement in our EBITDA margin and operating margin for the month of April, uh, or for the month of March, actually, uh, and we'll be reporting on April next month, and uh, I'm happy to sort of preview that uh, things look like uh, the month of April have also uh, performed favorably, and uh, the back-to-budget plan and all the hard work on the part of the, the staff and the organization on the uh, finance and revenue side as well as uh, uh, the uh, frontline staff and the leaders on the expense management side are really uh, bearing fruit and uh, looking uh, positive for our ability to achieve our budget uh, target for the year. Any questions about anything here? Uh, you have all the narrative for all the other areas. So. Okay. Keep going. So system updates. Uh, just want to report that uh, we had a group of uh, uh, providers, some of our patient and advisory council members and other members of the clinical members of the organization participate at the Laney College swap meet uh, a few uh, uh, weeks ago. Or actually, I think it was last weekend. Let me look at the date here. Uh, it was uh, in a second. Um, uh, May 20th. Um, so Dr. Alex, you can't tell from the pictures yet, but Dr. Alex Diaz, who you all know and has presented to you before, and a, uh, a team that included other physicians and members of our, uh, one member of our Spanish-speaking patient advisory council and a bilingual adult medicine human rights uh, eligibility specialist, uh, participated at the um, at the uh, Lonely College uh, swap meet on the 20th. Um, over 50 individuals received uh, information about insurance eligibility and immigrant and refugee care. We actually were able to remotely um, access our system and uh, register about 10 patients uh, for clinic appointments at the swap meet. And plenty of others received a lot of our information and brochures around uh, serving all and immigrants being welcome. And uh, we were very well received at that event. Yes, sir. That's swap meet. Uh, it's an area, it's an event where you, where, where uh, an entity, and in this case, I think the college sets up an ability for a bunch of vendors to come in and sell their wares. It's a, it's a flea market. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought. Sorry. It's a flea market? They call it a What's the market. purpose of this being there? Uh, because it's a place where people are convening. And blood pressure? No, in this case, we were providing information about our services. We actually registered people for clinic appointments, and we gave them information about immigration rights and their rights to receive care, and really just tried to be a source of information for our Is it the same as a sideshow? A sideshow? No. 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 I don't even know what a sideshow is. We won't be going to the sideshow. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> 
diverse nature of this picture of uh, reflecting our community uh, and that uh, this program is just one example of this. So uh, I'll uh, parenthetically and I, I apologize Dr. Henry mentioned it because it was mentioned during the NEC report but we actually have one of our uh, uh, employees in maternal child health participate in an advocacy effort in the state of California with the Center's Pregnancy Program to try to ad advocate for better reimbursement for this program so that more uh, organizations around the state would actually take it up and adopt it for uh, it's, it's the benefits it provides for maternal child health. So I'm really excited about us leading the way in, in those efforts. Um, he's back. Hey. Who's back? We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, happy to share with you that on June 18th, uh, Richard Espinosa will be rejoining our Middle Health Center assistant as our CAO Institute uh, Cure. And I have to tell you uh, that it was very fascinating to us. We were, we were obviously incredibly uh, excited that Richard uh, has realized where his home is and, and that he's, uh, and it's where his heart is. And uh, I want to say that uh, when uh, Louis sent out this announcement and when he spoke to staff, um, the, the universal uh, uh, excitement um, uh, was, was palpable, even for people who don't work in post-acute, who just interact with uh, Richard on a uh, sort of tangential basis, or as a part of their work in terms of transitioning patients, and uh, including at our EHR uh, kickoff the other day, one of the physicians leaned over to me and said, how'd you get him back? And, and it, was, it was an ER doc, actually, and I was like, it was mutual. <laughs> he wanted to come home, and we wanted him home. So, so, so I'm happy to share with you that he'll be back next month. When we all go to get wine for the gala, just like just buy an extra bottle. For yes, yes. But I hope you didn't spend too much on the going away gift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 we asked for the still has a short light. Yeah, yeah. It's our welcome back. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Uh, so I just wanted to share that. And then, uh, you know, um, what's that? Does that take me out to the ball game? <laughs> Thank you. That's not the Harry Carey version. That's not the Harry Carey version. <laughs> We're not in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I just pointed this out every year. We do uh, annual uh, recognition. Uh, thank you to our, our employees. And it's just a small token for the incredible work that they do. Uh, last year, we uh, had a uh, Friends and Family Day at the zoo. And that went well. Uh, we were on the pricey side. And uh, you know our situation this year. Uh, but we also always want to be supporting uh, uh, our county and our various uh, uh, venues and partners and uh, other organizations. And so uh, this year, this weekend, uh, actually, uh, for employee appreciation, we were uh, having a um, uh, Alameda Health System Day at the uh, Oakland A's game. And so we'll have a lot of folks there. And uh, I look forward to uh, uh, recognizing, again, thanking people for the incredible work. Make sure you uh, no, he, he doesn't start until June, so he can't. He has to buy his own ticket. <laughs> he has to buy his own ticket, that's right. Uh, all right, uh, moving on uh, epic uh, updates. So um, as, as uh, um, our epic colleagues mentioned, uh, we do this update every month uh, to let you know how the project is going. Uh, you will, I, I asked you to get familiar with this slide as we tell people in the organization. Uh, you will see it a lot. It shows all the different phases, which is sort of six phases, but listed as uh, uh, five, because uh, the next one, or the last one is perpetuity. Uh, but I will bring this out to show you right at the end of uh, uh, phase zero, which is groundwork, so where we have done all of, as much as our, our uh, executive and other organization, uh, structure, infrastructure setting, education, hiring 
and onboarding our staff, uh, sending people off to training, doing all of the current state questionnaires for how things uh, look and their multiple forms throughout our organization, getting all of that work done, and we're at the tail end of that, hence the kickoff activities that I'll speak to again in, in just a second. This takes us into uh, the direction setting phase, and this is where uh, we bring a lot of our leaders and clinical and otherwise together in the organization and show them uh, what, what Epic has put together from all of the baseline information that we have of our current state. They will show them the uh, Epic build, the, uh, what do we call it, the um, foundation. foundation build. Remember, we are going with as standardized as possible, and we will only vary, uh, vary when it's clinically indicated to do so. Show the foundation build and really do that direction setting with a lot of people to say, how do you see this working in your current or with the current uh, demands that we have as an organization? Uh, again, uh, uh, with the, uh, the the belief that in uh, a very robust, well-regarded system, hence the reason uh, people requested and we supported it, that uh, a vast majority of our needs should be met with that foundation bill. And that effort will take place uh, over the course of the next uh, couple of months, and I'll talk about that in a second. And I'll ask for estimated dates to be put on the different uh, phases, just to give us an idea. You know what? You probably did, and I apologize. I mean, we'll do that. So we do have that. We, it is doable. Yeah, so we uh, actually know, uh, because we've been doing all these activities for the last two days, groundwork ends at the end of May. Uh, the next phase goes through the end of July, uh, and then adoption starts in August and goes through December. Yes. They're nodding to see if I got this right. And then testing goes from January to June, right? And then training and, and go live, uh, well, training goes for the three-month period uh, between the, the, the third quarter or first quarter of FY20, and then go live is uh, slated for Q4. Uh, calendar year Q4, the Q2 or fiscal year uh, 20, and that date will be refined after we finish our direction setting activities. Thank you. I was looking to Katya to make sure I got it right, so that passed. But we'll put it on here, and then post live is obviously from that date forward. So, so we're uh, going to two years from this quarter. Uh, no, no. Uh, well, I said year. 20. I said 20. I said FY20. Fiscal year 20, which oh, is yeah, this 19. Okay. Yeah, so it's 19. Sorry about that. It'll be, it'll be uh, roughly a year plus from now. Yes. Uh, I'll have to do it. I apologize. No, no but I know we have it because Katya has been using that slide, so we'll put it there for you. Okay. Uh, this is the, uh, the the progress report uh, that you heard about earlier. This is the second one that we've received. Uh, again, uh, it is just the uh, high-level version of it. It is not all the detail behind it, which uh, uh, we don't want to bog you down with, and you should be comfortable not being bogged down with it as long as you see that things are satisfactory and above, and as long as you see under those last two columns there that there are no uh, issues uh, that are, are alarming from an epic perspective. This is their report to us of how we're doing, and you see that in both court, there is no issues requiring immediate attention uh, uh, as it relates to either the executive intervention or uh, uh, executive oversight. Sure. Yes. Sure. Do we have a PMO involved in the installation? I know we had a consultant to help us craft the RFP, and then we had a consultant, which was brilliant, and a consultant to help us choose, and now we're involved in installing, and I didn't know if we had a PMO consultant, project management organization. Right. Um, not at this juncture. So you'll recall that uh, we, with the um, advice of Epic, as well as in, in concert with our own uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, value as an organization, we shifted a lot of our resources out of contract to internal employees. Uh, we do have PMO resources in the organization who help us with 
the project. Uh, Sylvia Rosano, who leads that group, sits on our executive oversight team. And so as those uh, needs are uh, uh, um, identified for the project, they will, they will assist us in it. We do have some resources available for consulting support as it's warranted throughout the life of the, uh, the project design, build, and go live, uh, but it's on a minimal basis. And so, do you think we need one? Uh, I do believe we, I don't know if uh, we have consultants for, for project management. I don't think we do. It'll be more technical subject matter uh, um, consultant support that we'll Might want to build a leaky bridge like they did over the bay. Mm. So they didn't have someone to spend the caulking. But anyway. I, I caught most of that. Much more than <laughs> the side show. So yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I will leave. Just out of curiosity. Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, it just recommends you know, getting some hiring finished. I'm, I'm curious, is that why we got a four instead of a five? I mean, not, I'm not the kind of parent who says, why didn't you get I know, a four? So are you? Are, are I'm you, not. Aren't you? Well, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's like a bee. It is a bee. I don't like it. Actually, I told Ed, um, there are various sections behind this and about different parts of the project. And one of them, I thought they were a little harsh on us. And I was like, I could quibble with this. But it's not really. It's, it's, but the point is, uh, he, what he showed me is epic is hard pressed to to um, uh, to tell you you're perfect because they want to keep you going. Mm -hmm. uh, he actually even tried to brace me, uh, although I'm fighting back. And he's like, "There's going to be an occasion where they're going to tell you that you're not performing up to to satisfaction." There's like everybody gets it at least once in their their project, and I'm, I'm wanting to be the exception to that rule. So uh, don't hold me to well, you know, you can't hold me to that. Uh, you will hold me to it, I'm sure. But we will we will try to this, and and I think it was really. Um, I forget which section it was, but it was something around, uh, it may have been around the staffing. So as you can see in the narrative here, uh, yeah, we have about uh, six or seven uh, individual slots amongst each of our, um, one in each of our um, uh, applications that we're putting for, uh, that we're still recruiting for. And they're kind of making us aware that, you know, you need to hurry up and get those positions filled because those people need to be onboarded and uh, go to training and be certified. It is the case that some of the people we are hiring um, uh, are coming already certified, and so as we are looking at this, some of that will be mitigated by, by that particular uh, fact. But I will take this moment to say that it is really, uh, um, I want to say, really impressive on the part of our HR team and our uh, EPIC team that we have recruited such a, uh, a really uh, strong group of folks. Uh, I've spent the last two days with them, um, um, and there is a great blend of people who came from the organization, so people who, uh, you know, wound care nurses, pharmacists, uh, physicians and others working in the organization who are uh, IT people in the organization who are now part of the project as well as uh, people who are outside of the uh, organization who can come in. We've had people, a lot of folks from John Muir, uh, we somewhere like John Muir Saturday. We benefited from the fact that John Muir actually outsourced a lot of their IT and uh, so there are some really talented individuals who joined our team. We have some really strong people from uh, UCSF, from Kaiser, from Children's, uh, also a part of the team as well. And as I uh, was noted before, we have some people who were consultants with us who worked in other parts of the country who, again, furthering our anchor mission, uh, relocated because they wanted to continue to work with the organization and be a part of the project. So we have a few uh, people as part of that team who've worked with OHS for years, uh, but uh, or for more than a year, uh, but didn't live here, and they've relocated to the Bay Area to be a part of this group. So uh, really impressive work and exciting work, and the team is uh, really dynamic, and we're excited to see the, uh, the work they're going to do. 
Uh, I'll keep, oh, I was just to point out that we updated it for April. Uh, accomplishments that were 90, 90% there for to partake and 10 members so far have gone to training. Uh, 10 of our honorees have already passed their certification exams. And as you'll recall, a lot of, um, once they finish training, they have a lot of homework to do. They even have what they call projects that they have to complete. And then they're studying for the certification exams themselves. So they have until the end of July, beginning of August, to all be certified. Uh, uh, and so there's a lot of work that people are doing between now and then. So 45 haven't flunked. 45 have not flunked or taken their exams, right, right. <laughs> So they haven't taken the exam. I just want to go about that. Uh, okay, cool. Um, project leadership has gone. We had uh, May 14th and 15th. A lot of the uh, members of the uh, uh, sort of senior leadership uh, went to Verona to learn about change management and to learn about all the elements of the project so that we could be thinking about uh, being ahead. I didn't go, uh, but so that we as a leadership team could be uh, uh, thinking about what's coming next and kind of staying ahead of the curve. Uh, Epic managers from Epic and their coordinators are assigned to our, our different projects that happen over the month uh, too. Uh, as we mentioned, kickoff activities over the last two days. Uh, I, um, uh, access and Readiness Health Readiness Team have their event. Our clinical operational readiness team also uh, uh, had their event today at Berkeley City College. Uh, very inspiring and exciting event to see uh, clinicians uh, and uh, staff members from all of our sites coming together and talking about what this was, what this future was going to be like for us and getting into the nuts and bolts. It's a beautiful slide on um, uh, the sort of cycle of change that was put up. So you know, being excited and then going through kind of the sober reality and getting to the bit of a role of what the heck have we gotten ourselves into and then kind of eventually uh, looking more towards the future and building yourself out. And uh, we kind of pointed out that people went from one to two really quickly because uh, really, things got really real really quickly. Uh, but people are still uh, very inspired and excited and understanding the mission and uh, the, the reason why we're doing this project and why we're going through this for the system. So uh, very exciting there. And our website launch, which we mentioned last time, is out. So this is just one other sort of a static uh, communication tool that we have for the entirety of the organization. The page is live. We send out a message telling people, you know, you're going to be involved in a project. And to the extent that you are, there is a lot of active engagement that will happen. For those of you who either aren't engaged yet or uh, aren't engaged at all, you can always come here and see what's going on with the project and you see various parts of where we are uh, and what activities are happening and uh, people who are involved in the work, a lot of resources that are there. They can directly access Epic's user web, which we're already linked onto, so they can kind of look at all the neat tools that are there and what we'll be doing for the organization. So that went live yesterday as well. Uh, following for next steps, or not finally actually, but uh, in terms of this part, next steps are the direction setting activities, and I've described those uh, to you, but they'll happen over the course of this uh, uh, phase one, uh, and that's going to go through the month of June and July. And then, uh, parenthetically, we are, this is kind of a, a best practice in owning uh, the EHR, so it's really an operational tool, not an IT tool. Uh, we have launched a naming uh, contest for this EHR, and uh, we have a few days left for uh, staff to submit uh, names, and I think the winning name, or the submitter of the win winning name wins an iPad, I believe, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we want to encourage people to do it. And we have, I'm looking for for, uh, do, do you remember the number? We had like, I think, do we have like, is it over 100? Oh, there's three, yeah. We have 150 suggested names already. Uh -huh. This is from the other organization, so. And I submitted only 140 of them. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting that iPad. Yeah, I want that iPad. Uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't submit any. Um, I'm not that creative. Um, I don't, okay, who's, a, who's a selection leader? Is it EHR oversight? Yes. It's an EHR oversight, so yeah. Um, 
So yeah, we're looking forward to to, to that. Uh, Does that get as well. uh, board approval? I no, but you can submit and let us know you're submitting, and we'll be sure not to choose it. Yes. We'll probably be able to tell which one is your submission. The Joe degrees, the Joe sideshow. So from the budget perspective, so the last time we presented, we just gave you kind of a spin, and where we were on the spin. You asked for a contest and said, right. what we got is the term for you, what the budget is uh, uh, for the fiscal year for the project, and, and what we spent, uh, which is a reflection of about a quarter of the or third. Um, uh, of the amount. Um, uh, it is point of fact, remember there's a lag in launching the project and then there's always a lag in the sort of the invoicing and billing cycle. So we do expect that this number will uh, get closer to what we budgeted for the year. So uh, we're not overly excited about uh, uh, the variance right now, but we, we are excited about the fact that at least we are on budget. Uh, uh, we should be at this stage on budget. And so uh, um, that's just showing you what it looks like. Right, it's, uh, yeah, these are actual paid expenses, so they're not accrued yet. So this is kind of, uh, and to that point, let's get into it. So this is called, I've told you, the CIO uh, view of, of the project. And so what it's showing is on a month-to-date basis, uh, looking at the expenses as they come through. Uh, so you can see, and then the month of May, we haven't had kind of the individual uh, expenses of payroll and other things that will come through. But we know uh, that the contract for the license and the fees and the implementation fees are uh, fairly static. And so you see them as they're sort of mapped out there. And this maps to close to that third uh, uh, of the expenses that you saw in the prior slide. Okay. And then finally, just an update on the uh, county agreements. So we have received uh, about, uh, about two weeks ago now uh, a draft document of the uh, sort of contract or framework for uh, this is for how we would deal with the capital costs. Uh, we uh, provided feedback to uh, our county partners uh, last Friday, and now, uh, uh, so we reviewed it internally, uh, provided feedback, and now we're in the process of scheduling follow-up discussions to try to uh, iron out some of the uh, uh, concerns that we, we will uh, identify and discuss. Uh, but I am uh, noting that uh, because the uh, board, the county board, or the, the uh, board of supervisor approval, uh, um, put a deadline of June 30th for this agreement to be in place, uh, we are at risk of missing that deadline. And so we'll try to work with our county partners to figure out what we need to do to address that uh, risk. And if uh, uh, that requires any sort of uh, uh, consideration on your part, I will bring that back to you. Uh, but uh, uh, I, you will recall I pointed this out last month that uh, because it took us a while to get together, I was concerned that we might not be able to honor that deadline uh, given the nature of the complexity of these things and the fact that we have to talk uh, back and forth about the various elements of it. So, we make that, that agreement does need to come to, to us. Yes. Yeah. So, it has to come to, to, meet, to meet our June meeting. Uh, that is that would be the next goal, and then to see if then it could go to the Board of Supervisors. But I don't know uh, uh, if that sequence would actually. I'm doubtful that that sequence could happen with that case. So, so what is likely to be the case is we'll have to go and say, you know, due to due to around this process that that particular stipulation needs to be uh, amended. Okay, and with that, I think that's all I have. So thank you for your indulgence. Questions? Yeah, a uh, comment actually. I just want to compliment. Uh, Mr. Finlay, on the wonderful article that you wrote, I, I found it actually moving to see that data put in one place. Mm -hmm. And I shared it on uh, several of my networks, mm -hmm. um, and I 
just wanted to put out there that uh, it might be good to have uh, Terry at some point talk to the board about ways we can uh, magnify uh, such stories in our own networks. So, thank you, uh, Trustee. Uh, I, will, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give Terry and his team a, a great amount of credit uh, for helping with that, as well as you, you all may remember the article we did, uh, Dr. Victorino and I, two months ago on uh, gun violence uh, in our community. Terry and his police team have been uh, outstanding and actually driving this effort for us and uh, uh, helping to uh, place us before various uh, um, uh, valued publications so that it gets the light of day uh, and within uh, social media context as well. And as a byproduct of that, and to your point, uh, particularly with this particular item, talking to our uh, uh, OBGYN leadership and, and talking about the fact that we feel that there is a, a place that we can continue to play in adding voice to not just the work that we're doing here, but really promoting uh, greater um, uh, equity of care uh, for women of color uh, um, uh, throughout our community. And we are, we're, we're already in discussions about how we can continue to do more of that. So, some more to come, and thank you for that. All right, any other questions or comments for our CEO? All right, I think it's time to move on to our consent agenda. Um, right off the bat, I think we're pulling the Health System Foundation item because there's a minor correction to it that we're going to make, and then we're going to we're going to hear that item. Uh, other than that, uh, do we have a, a motion? I'll move B through E. Okay. Second. Any, any conversation? All in favor? Aye. 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 All right. Uh, so let's go back to A. Okay. Um, I'm going to give Dave, are we... You got it up? Okay, perfect. So thank you, trustees. Um, uh, at the Finance Committee, uh, we put forward the foundation budget, the three-year budget for the foundation. I want to thank Deborah for uh, her partnership and her uh, leadership in this effort. Uh, the foundation, as you know, is uh, going to be uh, launching uh, very shortly here a major capital campaign to uh, support the EHR effort. Uh, in addition to that, as uh, you heard mentioned earlier, um, uh, they are working on supporting the San Leandro uh, rehab, and not just the rehab at San Leandro, a couple of other uh, cr critical um, uh, um, infrastructural, uh, technological, mostly radiology uh, capital needs for San Leandro Hospital, uh, in addition to the host of other things that they'll be doing for us. And so uh, we are nearing the end of the current uh, three-year contract, and this is a contract to uh, support the foundation in their efforts to support us for the uh, next three years. Uh, this um, um, uh, request and uh, contract uh, um, renewal was well received by Finance Committee. Afterwards, unfortunately, we did capture there were some calculation errors. Uh, uh, really one main one that was material, and so I'll, I'll share with you what that looks like in uh, detail. So if you're looking at, I think it's pages 18 and 19, or something somewhere thereabouts yeah. in your slide deck, uh, you'll see these two slides, and I've sort of highlighted just for the sake of expediency where the changes are. So so on the uh, uh, FY20, which is year two of the contract, um, there was a uh, shortfall, uh, uh, a missed uh, uh, figure of about, uh, was about 300, a little over $300,000, 350 or so, uh, that we have added back in. Uh, here and that, that number then takes the total contract out by the same amount, so it goes from 6.9 to about 7.3 million. Uh, this, if you go to the next page, we'll show you how that sort of maps out. So there are a couple of changes. Uh, the others are not necessarily material; it's just a calculation thing. Uh, uh, so I'm just pointing them out for the sake of uh, transparency here from what you have before, and we'll obviously include this in the final number or the final uh, report. But uh, the, the first number uh, uh, totals uh, the 10 million dollar that the uh, the target that 
and a half for this year. Um, that number when we calculated it before the, the subtraction didn't actually work out correctly, but this is the correct number, and the figures didn't change. Uh, in FY20, again, the calculation was uh, on salary and benefits where we missed a component of it that took it up by 300000 That takes up then the AHS subsidy piece, which is a 2.0, uh, um, yeah, 2.3 million that you see here, uh, and, and it raises everything sort of accordingly. That's a big change there. Uh, in the third year, uh, there's a slight reduction on the other expense side. Uh, that brings that number down by a little bit, and so uh, uh, that's reflected. Why is the net income pre presented differently on the screen than in our book? The net, the net income because like 2019 uh, is eight million dollars. Yeah, I'll go back and show you. Uh, it is the unrestricted part of it. So uh, the I'm sorry, the restricted part of it. So the unrestricted part is uh, reflected um, um, not on the net because remember we had a piece here where the way that the foundation funds their operating expenses are a combination of the accounting. The subsidy is. It's both the subsidy and uh, the part of it that they have to write. Uh, the uh, uh, where is it? the part of it that they fund themselves out of those unrestricted dollars. I think it's, is it all, oh no, yeah, so you have it now that all of the unrestricted go to covering the parts of the, sub, uh, the parts of their costs that we don't cover through the subsidy. So, so what would those be? Uh, so the amount are, are no, what would be, what would they be covering? Um, they are part of these costs. And golf tournament that, that, that wouldn't mitigate what we give. So, so on the expense side for the foundation, let me try to explain that. Uh, so the total operating expenses for the foundations are the numbers that you see here. Uh, those total operating expenses, so you see the 3.2 in this year, 2.3 we will fund through a subsidy. Uh, the rest of it they'll fund through unrestricted funds. Is that, does that answer your question? When has the foundation ever raised $1 million a year in unrestricted funds? I think they are already are, or they're close to doing that. I don't now, have to see what it is for them. The gala, I mean, it's treasurer for six years. The gala makes 300 minus expenses. The golf tournament clears close to 100. So I'm just wondering. Would you have a planned gift that you have? And, and actually, I should also say, I'm sorry, this is the expense column. These aren't always, because this year it goes up by, by a million. Uh, and, uh, for this budget, um, the, ex the, uh, the budget that the foundation had this year for expenses, I think, was around uh, a little over two million dollars. But they're not actually incurring all of those expenses. So, so this dollar uh, figure fluctuates based off of their actual expense, and I think the unrestricted uh, art covers whatever the delta is. But Debbie, do you want to add more to that? I would just like to say that the unrestricted. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, the unrestricted uh, donations uh, include the uh, income from our two signature events, uh, golf and gala, as well as our uh, annual fund solicitations, uh, what the associate board is raising, and um, other areas that, that come in. Um, it's a million dollars? It, it's, yes, it's close to it. It is. Surprise. We've grown a lot since you joined us, and we're continuing to do that. To, like, good you did. You did very much. Thank you, Trustee. And I must say, if I may, that I am delighted to hear two of our medical staff chiefs quote the concept of capital campaigns in their reports. So we have yeah. arrived in terms of yeah. creating a culture of philanthropy. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, thank you. So, so with that, I'll just say that then this, this is how then the number goes up by 300,000 and reflects the 7.3 from the 6.9. So we just wanted to note that this was different than what Finance Committee saw and proposed.
Do we have a copy of that? So that Absolutely. from now when she comes to present, yep. um, we won't be happy. Well, just like we did with this one, we'll include it in the minutes, just like, so it came forth from Finance Committee minutes, we'll put it with the board minutes, so we'll see this, yeah. these slides presented to you. Okay. I heard a motion. Do I have a second? second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. Thank you. There you go. Yeah. I think we're on to item two. Uh, yes. Didn't this come before us once before? Somehow this is deja vu all over again. Somehow yes. I've seen this number in this company, and she'd been here for three weeks, so I don't know if we uh, have paid her yet. It was discussed, but I don't think we yes, voted that's right. on yeah, it. Was, it, was, it was discussed that the executive committee had approved it and that it needed to come back to you for ratification. I would approve approval. All second. Come on, favor? Aye. Thank you. Quick. Welcome aboard right. again. <laughs> she, she's always said the invoice. <laughs> All right. Uh, our policies and procedures again. All, move. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That is the end of our consent agenda. Thank you. All right. Yes, it's you, right? So, both actually, these are written reports. Yeah. So, oh, uh, right, yeah. right. Yes, yes. Do people have it? Yeah, because we heard it all. Finance. Well, those of us that are on finance heard it. I heard it. You saw it. I wasn't actually in the room. Um, but do people have questions about it? No. Okay. Great. So, do we? Uh, we don't need to accept it, right? Uh, we just go right to our budget presentation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Great. Do you have questions about the second one? So the second one. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry, Luis. Yeah, do people have a questions about the operating report? No. My question isn't. It's um, more about, and it's not so much in the numbers. So maybe um, I can get a response at some future time. But uh, how, I would like to know where we are in terms of FTEs. Failed FTEs to budget FTEs. I think that is in the report. Yes. Oh, I see. It's uh, page 47. Can I put even on this chart? What page is it? Department of FTEs. It's page 48, right? Yeah. Uh, it is 47, 47, 47, 47 on my book. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, uh, I mean, I guess what I'm, uh, since we heard um, some comments earlier, I'm just bringing this up in terms of um, the large variances. Are we, are we, do we have positions that are not being filled? I see that we have a, our budgeted is, uh, our actual is much higher than our budgeted, but then we hear from, from certain departments that they're not, yeah, so that's my question. Thank you. And that would be for Luis, I guess, or, uh, or for... I'm sorry, so, so I want to make sure I um, understand the question you're asking. Well, it, according to this, the SBU will agree our, actu our actuals are, um, looks like our actual FTEs is 
Look at page 46, full-time um, equivalents. Is that what you're Okay, reading? I'm on 49. Okay, I was on 47. Okay. Is that the more accurate? Actually, I think, you know, the, the, the better report would be if you look at page 55. That is the accountability report. And it breaks it down and gives you the very top line, gives you how we are doing as a system with total FDEs that are, that are actual versus budgeted. And then it breaks it down essentially by department, by division, and it gives you the total number of FDEs. I mean, it's, it's a really detailed report that gives you exactly by department, yeah. by that to, to that level of specific, uh, specificity, uh, how many you know FDEs are actual and how many are budgeted. And you know, again, this is the ebb and flows of how you're managing the operation and you're dealing with turnover. Um, it says we've been hiring like crazy, but still in budget. Right, so it looks like we're under just slightly in IT and everywhere else we're maybe or exceeding budgeted positions. Is I reading that correctly? Say that again. In IT we're under. But in the other IT is the area that we're where we're not where we're under. Uh, no, that's not right. No, if you, if you look at it, I mean, again, for the most part, most departments are under budget information systems here. So it's actually a few over, but this has, this has to do with uh, the allocation of resources. Um, pretty much every area uh, looks like it's, is uh, every, you know, broken down by by division leader. Yeah. Yes, legal is under. Is that because you've contracted it all out? It's a separate budget. Well, so I mean, I guess, and there's not much we can say except my. The, the issue kind of being, um, and I'll, I'll look at Joe as I say this, in some um, large organizations, it looks great on the balance sheet if you don't fill positions that are budgeted, but unfortunately, then you're not providing the services that um, are expected or, or, or that the leadership has, has put in the budget. So um, I'm just gonna say that and hope that our positions that we that we're not trying to save money by not filling critical and essential positions. Yeah. So, so I mean, if I can answer that, I mean, I'm thinking specifically from an operations perspective, I will guarantee you that, uh, you know, when you're looking at, at budgeted positions, there's, there's a variety of different things that could be happening. So just because there's a position vacant doesn't mean that it's either a critical position or that we're not wanting to fill the position. It could be tied to a specific program that we're not ready to launch yet. I mean, when you're, the, the budget is put together and we're, we're reviewing it now, the budget's put together and approved in June. Some of these things may not take effect till February, March. So I mean, so those, that's one of the reasons why you could possibly potentially see vacancies that take some time to fill as we're ramping up and getting processes or, or, or programs started. Equally, um, you know, there, there's the, the ebb and flow of, of just operations. People leave, people, you know, resign. You know, there's just the natural turnover that occurs within the organization. And so you're always going to see this variance between actual and budgeted. Uh, uh, you know, our HR recruitment department is, is busy every single day. We meet every single week uh, as, a, as a leadership team and, and our FDE committee where we have actually one of our, one of our physicians as part of that committee, uh, Dr. Rachel Dayton, and we review every single request that, is that, that has been presented and, you know, and, and submitted by the, by the managers. 
uh, they're, they're vetted uh, by the FD community to make, make sure that we're meeting the criteria, that it's budgeted, that we're meeting our productivity standards, that we're, you know, we have a vacancy, uh, those types of things in the position control, and decisions are made, and we move forward. Uh, it's from that point, it's passed on to HR. Recruitment's doing a wonderful job filling positions. Uh, I was at the new employee orientation uh, here uh, um, a couple days ago, and, and uh, it's again it's a full orientation so we are going through that process i mean it's very difficult to say that just looking at a raw number uh of, of what's budgeted versus actual is a reflection of you know the you know the what's happening in the operation it, you know there, there's a lot of activity going on and you know having sufficient staffing is is relatively you know relatively subjective and in the eye of the beholder there i mean we, we have a budget we know what the operation requires and we're supporting that we're managing that, and we're you know being responsible with our resources to make sure that we can continue to deliver care, but also managing our operations effectively. Thank you. All right. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Okay. Let's move on to the budget. Move on. Uh, let's see. I think it's a different presentation. Um, um, so. <laughs> I said, wait, will I get to the end here and get to the end? Uh, so, wait, is it all on one? Everything's in one. It's all on one day. Oh, great. Oh, great. Oh, here we are. Great. So this might take a while. All right, so uh, getting the trustees again. Uh, so the goal here was uh, um, one that we, we did a really robust um, uh, presentation of the Budget and Finance Committee, and, and, and I thank and appreciate those of you who could, mm -hmm. could make it. Um, uh, tonight, um, I am, uh, while it says uh, uh, myself, Luis, and Nancy, uh, I'm going to present a, a, a high-level overview of the budget. I'm going to breeze uh, through or, or, or um, uh, mention some of their particular slides, and uh, hopefully you've had a chance to look at those. Any specific questions you, or concerns you have about that, I'm happy to address them, uh, uh, and, and, and we'll proceed with sort of the time. Did you get to hear from Nancy tonight? Uh, for the budget, we were intending to. Would you like to hear from her? I always like to hear from the new person. <laughs> <laughs> from the new person on the block. Uh, we'll make sure Richard comes next month too. Um, uh, well, so, so uh, no, I um, uh, let, let, let me let me try it, and then obviously we'll be here to address any questions you might have. Okay. All right. Thanks. So uh, the outline. Uh, we thought you know we should we should. Uh, apply the rule of tell you what we're going to tell you, tell you, and then tell you what we told you, right? So we're going to uh, go over uh, the budget, uh, the, uh, the way it's outlined here is a presentation of our goals and principles, that's sort of the foundation here, uh, process and timeline to show you where we have been and how it, uh, where we are now and how we get to the end. Uh, Long-term financial plan, which is not the operating, the budget is effectively as we present it now for the organization, the income statement for the year. But we put that in context of the long-range financial plan, which shows you where we are now and then where we are for a few years out or expect to be a few years out. Uh, we'll then start to drill into uh, the detail that then goes to the, this year's budget itself and we start with a high level uh, overview of the forecast of the volume. So the drivers and assumptions that go behind what we think is going to happen throughout all of our business units from a volume perspective and then we get into the actual budget itself. So we start with the revenue side of the uh, balance sheet, so top line, bottom line with the expenses and then pull that all together. Uh, uh, then go back to the capital plan to recap the long-range financial plan and how it all comes together. 
Okay. Uh, this is principal, so the only thing that's uh, noteworthy here, this is a lot of our principals are the same as they were last year and have been for years. Uh, we pointed out the sustainable piece is a new target for the years, an EBITDA margin of 4.6. And on the continuous improvement, uh, just always looking at what happened the prior year and how could we improve uh, our budgeting uh, sort of experience uh, for the organization. And this year, as we've mentioned before, uh, we uh, took a different approach to salary expenses this year, or a revised approach by taking salary expenses and basing them on uh, rated uh, average uh, wage rate that we've experienced in the prior year uh, with uh, vacancies uh, budgeted at the top of the range. Okay. Uh, this one just gives you a sense of what the budget process is and where we are. Uh, we're in the April to May phase, obviously, and uh, this is the iterative process of us uh, reporting or presenting the budget to you, to Finance Committee, getting feedback. I'm happy to report that uh, there was uh, not a lot of extra feedback from uh, Finance Committee this year, so that, uh, in terms of uh, more work to do. Uh, so we took that as a good sign. I think that's how it was intended. Uh, uh, and so we didn't make any substantive changes from what we presented uh, then to now, hence the reason uh, we didn't want to go into a lot of detail. I will take the opportunity to say as an iterative approach here that what we wanted to present and that we did with the budget is, the budget is a snapshot. It's a point in time where we're saying how do we expect things to play out based off of the known information that we have. And we, as we've noted a couple of times, there are a lot of moving parts to this. So as the state's budget gets finalized, as the county's budget gets finalized, uh, those then pretend for some of the things that um, uh, we have in terms of contracts or rates or things like that to be adjusted. Um, lest we never get you to actually be able to approve a budget, we've uh, determined that we're going to fix it with the best information we have possible. Uh, but we want to point out that you know we're, we are we are and will continue to get uh, either signs or clear indications of where something is going to land. Um, uh, and as that happens, then we will, as a budget oversight committee, look at what's happening, see if it is material enough that we need to bring something back to you and let you know about it uh, in terms of whether or not it will impact uh, the integrity of the budget from what we knew at the time in which we asked you to approve it. Uh, one of the things that has happened uh, uh, since the time that we presented to Finance Committee is that uh, we've been working with our our finance team and our auditors to look at, as you know, we're expecting next year uh, another $5 million infusion of cash from Kaiser uh, to support our EHR efforts. Um, uh, we're looking at kind of the balance between what are going to be the actual operating dollars we'll have versus capitalized dollars. And in this case, the $5 million or some subset of that actually might not come onto the income statement, but may have to fall directly to the balance sheet. When that happens, uh, the, the net effect is that uh, our ability to meet our debt uh, obligations and to stay within the, uh, the permanent agreement are still maintained, uh, but it may impact our, it may have a adverse impact on our EBITDA target. Have you received any money from Kaiser yet? Yes. And so how, now we, so how is that? So we take that to in. your point, great, I'm glad you asked. Yes, so we received 10 million uh, uh, this year. Um, just feels good to say that. Yeah, to me, <laughs> um, and we initially did, uh, Nancy can speak to this, we initially, uh, uh, I think it took the pressure, uh, because of the uh, operating expenses that we were experiencing and expecting that we could book uh, those 10 million on our balance or our income statement. When we went back and uh, revised this approach, we, got, we discovered that no, there's, we're not going to have $10 million of operating expenses uh, this year, and so we're only going to book on the income statement that portion of uh, the dollars that are cover the operating expenses that we we'll have, the rest of it will fall to, to, to the balance sheet. So how much do you think will be taken into income versus balance sheet? I can't remember the number. It's about a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. So, and actually, we'll see it when we get to the... Uh, so that's not the reason we're back. 
back the budget. No. Ten million dollars, Kaiser. <laughs> no. no. Well, the million helps, obviously, but no, that's not it. Yeah, yeah. But and it'll also help us in the net negative balance uh, as well. Yeah. Um, I was actually hoping it would be, but uh, that, that's not how it did that. In 2020, yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, so I just want to remember to have that framework in mind. We, we, we know that there'll be moving parts, uh, and some of that might be material. There's uh, a couple of other uh, county grants that we're getting indications of. You know, the county has a budget shortfall. They're trying to cover that. Some of that is going to uh, and may in order to us. Uh, we're getting signs that that may be the case. And as that happens, there may be things that we can absorb. Uh, uh, in some cases, it might not be, and we'll be having conversations with them. And as it, again, as it becomes uh, material to us, we will let you know. Okay. Uh, and then the final phases af after this presentation, we're going through, um, um, we're done with the first reads, as it were, first and second readings. Um, uh, next month, uh, the budget, as it's presented here, unless you propose any changes, uh, will come to uh, finance committee for. Uh, um, uh, uh, proposed adoption by the full board and it'll come to you at the end of June for a hopeful uh, adoption at that point. Okay? Uh, this is a long-range plan, so I really want you to kind of focus on this. So this is yeah, kind of showing you how the world plays out uh, for a few years or at least in rough order and obviously it's uh, uh, um, uh, more speculative the further out we get. But uh, the, the important piece here is uh, um, forecast for the remainder of this year proposed for next year, uh, so the, the second and third columns. So what you'll see as forecast is that we are effectively planning to uh, achieve our 4.1% EBITDA target, which is the slightly uh, revised from 4.2 with the epic cost included. Uh, Trustee uh, Thompson, to your point, you'll see above there on line five. This year, uh, epic operating cost being 968, uh, uh, roughly $968,000, and that's the part that, of the $10 million that we're broken to uh, the income statement. Um, but I said it then falls to uh, uh, the, the, the balance sheet. Um, so, so we won't be able to use the $10 million in our income statement until 2020? Uh, when we start to amortize, uh, so yeah, we'll start to see uh, the, that then that uh, coming over. Uh, actually, because it gets booked as a contribution, uh, capital, yeah. so it doesn't come through the income statement. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, because it, it will be non cash at that yeah. point. Yeah, okay. yeah, thank you. I always forget that. Um, see, I swear they kind of class. Because it will already be reflected on the balance uh, sheet, so it will already have had the impact on the overall balance for the organization. So, so it, it, it basically bypasses the income statement. So we have the cash, yeah. but it's considered a contribution to capital instead of coming through as income. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. It's in a way. Yeah. It's not an expensive. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's a little bit. Yeah, you got it. Um, I'd like to see it on there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I want it in both places. Actually, it does bring up, I'm sorry, another point that I didn't want to say uh, at this juncture, which is that we, we do, uh, I think we, 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 in terms of uh, balance between looking at uh, the income statement and the balance sheet for the organization, we spend probably about 90% of our time talking about the income statement and about 10% on the balance sheet. Uh, I will venture a, an argument that given not just the uh, um, the, cap, uh, the contributions that we get from philanthropy, but also some of the things that happen with uh, our supplementals, particularly like prior year uh, um, closeouts that then impact the balance sheet and may not actually come onto the income uh, statement depending on whether or not they were realized in prior years. Um, we will be, we're talking as a leadership team and we may be talking to you around the October retreat in terms of thinking about how to reframe uh, that balance of, 
uh, focus that we put on those two different um, uh, financial reporting tools and trying to make sure that you understand that while having an EBITDA target uh, to this point is very important for making sure that we can meet our debt obligations and our capital needs as an organization, uh, when we put that EBITDA target there and uh, we have uh, things happening on the reserve side that don't or either already accounted for and so they don't come onto the balance or onto the income statement or these other contributions that it may be um, a, a, a missed a missed site to actually look at uh, what's happening here as a sole driver for what's happening on the overall balance for the organization. So, so we'll, we'll come to you and actually uh, uh, propose uh, basically sort of a recalibration of those two uh, uh, after we have more discussion about it. But again, getting back to this piece, uh, 4.1 for uh, FY18, uh, again 4.6 for FY19. What that results in is um, the dollar figures that you see is the cash from operations. So big piece in uh, uh, 18 is the continuation of our MCE to cost. So you see another 80 million that we're expecting by the end of this year. We're actually expecting it in early June. Uh, that's going to uh, uh, fund this year only about a $46 million uh, predicted cash need uh, for capital, which then takes us, uh, or, or gives us $65 million that we can add to that million balance. You'll see what that looks like graphically next. And then in the next year, huge uptick in capital, uh, largely related to Epic, uh, that it will more than uh, uh, exceed the amount that we're expecting to bring in as cash from operations. So you see a combination of that uh, uh, cash coming in, supporting our epic costs, as well as uh, uh, the, the the cap space, as it were, that we have from our, our, um, our uh, uh, permanent agreement that will bring us up, and you'll see what that reflects. And then FY20, bring us up a little bit more. That's when we get, as I say, asymptotically close to the line, and then we start to pair back down. Do we know again. for a fact that we're going to get the MCE to cost money by yes. this fiscal year end? Uh, yes. We're pretty certain. The dollars are with the plan, and it's we're already, working on It's already at the alliance, and yes. so we're just, they're just working out exactly how much they need to send to us, and we're going to be getting it soon. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. Do the presumptions take into consideration decrease in productivity of the Epic launch? Uh, what it takes into consideration is uh, a, a, a rev cycle um, um, uh, slowdown. Okay. So whether that is uh, a productivity decrease or just a lag in being able to kind of pull everything through to get bills out and then uh, collect on it or a combination of the two. That's what we put, sort of factored in. Uh, and that actually uh, is, um, uh, you'll see it beginning in, so we go live in uh, FY20. I know the other two, the, the 19 and the 20, that uh, 20 and 10 million you're looking at is more around reserves for and other uh, uh, prior year programs that we'll have to uh, take into consideration. You see it actually on line 11 beginning in FY20. As uh, remember, we're going to go live on Epic uh, uh, around uh, the end of 2020. Uh, I'm sorry, 2019. Sorry, uh, calendar year 19. Again, there's yes, thank you. Fiscal 20, calendar year 19. Yeah. Uh, so we expect that uh, uh, we'll still have AR that's still running out about six months. Uh, uh, from the prior uh, EMR uh, that we're still collecting on. And then in the next year is when we will start to see uh, the beginning of those first couple of months of Epic Go Live that will uh, impact our ER. And so we'll see that. And then the next month or the next year just forecast that we caught up on it, that we will uh, bring it all back in and it will be, it'll, it'll be a, a sort of a one-to-one -one offset and we're back on uh, target. Yes. Hmm. 
Exactly. Thank you. I don't know how many times I do that again. <laughs> uh, but yes, so, so again, uh, just pointing out here um, that, the, that, that the dollars here are really to fund our, our capital needs. So our debt obligations, our pension obligation bonds, uh, uh, um, uh, our um, permanent agreement, uh, and then our capital expenses. So that's what it's driven to do. And to the point that something falls to the bottom line and passes through our um, or it doesn't pass through our income statement and thus uh, bypasses our EBITDA margin, it still falls to these particular items here. And the other thing I'll point out before I pay, turn from this slide, and you'll see it when I get to the end here, is uh, we have uh, foundation support that's really tied to not only uh, our EPIC uh, project, um, uh, but also other capital uh, expenses that we talked about in terms of like um, uh, uh, radiology or imaging equipment at San Leandro and a little bit here at Ireland, that, that if those things don't materialize and we, we you know, the foundation's already been doing work and so we're optimistic that they do, uh, those capital expenses will go away too because we won't do it if we don't raise the capital to do so. Or at least we won't do it now if we don't have the capital to do so. Okay? All right, so this is what it looks like graphically. So again, uh, FY18, when we get the million, you see us dropping well below the, uh, uh, the target for the year that we forecast. 19, we're going to inch back up because a combination of the dollars we bring in and the capital expenses that will occur will get us close. 20, uh, for part of the year, uh, capital costs when we get to the project will get us, again, asymptotically close to the line. Uh, uh, but then we start to pull back down uh, from there, and that's how we forecast with this. Um, uh, I'll keep moving on. Uh, volume assumptions. So I just highlighted the key drivers here um, uh, in each of our SBUs for what you'll see as the volume forecast uh, budget that comes at the end of this. Uh, so the left-hand side shows you the percentage uh, impacts, whether there's an increase or a decrease, and uh, the particular metric. And then the right hand is a little bit more narrative on what is uh, uh, the, the, the assumption that's driving that, uh, uh, that shift. So patient days slightly decreasing across all of the key by 3.6%, uh, a big part of that driven by uh, plant closure of the third floor or continuous closure of the third floor of San Leandro in support of the rehab uh, relocation. Uh, EB slight decrease, continuation of what we've seen uh, uh, over this year and what we're seeing in the market. Uh, um, and uh, or we're saying here, the ED, uh, ED provider contract through OPRs anticipated to ensure semis and aligned operations across our EV. So not necessarily um, a driver for that decrease, but a driver for that decrease not being more than what it might otherwise be if impacted by operations. Uh, surgery a slight decrease, uh, or increase, I'm sorry, overall by uh, two, two, uh, a little over 2.5%. And delivery flat, again, reflecting what we see in the market, which is actually uh, a, a decrease in deliveries across the county and across the state actually. And was it the nation too? It's where I sent me an article recently. I saw an article about the state, I'm not sure about Yeah, it was about the state, yeah. I think it was the state. Nationally, across the nation is the lowest low, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Which is when my first son was born. So right. people have been doing that for 20 years. Chop, chop, man. You're not carrying you. Know, you know, <laughs> And the post-acute, I know, right, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was partly my fault. Um, post-acute, uh, slight increase by 1.4%. Uh, uh, that's really uh, planned opportunity uh, work on the acute rehab side uh, to increase our senses and capacity to address demand. So this is not the rehab relocation, which won't happen until FY20, but some uh, operational efficiencies uh, that we are planning to do on, on the acute rehab side that will uh, uh, net just a modest increase uh, uh, projected in uh, patient days. 
uh, on the behavioral side, we expect an increase of 3.6%. We're willing to uh, kind of uh, come back from where we were this year. That was a depression related to all of the work that was done to address uh, ligature risk throughout all of our, um, uh, the PES and the inpatient side. So we're expecting to get back to what has been full capacity uh, for the year, and that's what it's reflected. And that will largely be wrapped up. Yes, so largely down there are a few uh, uh, efforts that Louise tells me we'll, we'll continue to do, but uh, we don't expect that they'll have an impact on census and uh, capacity. Uh, uh, they will you know, impact flow a little bit, but uh, um, we don't expect that have that as, as big of an impact as it's had this year. Have we year. been told about the Rubicon referral platform? Have, we, have you all been told about it? It, it was presented so. in the PSC two, okay. two, two months ago, I think. Yeah. So we've talked about it from the context of also, uh, as we mentioned, uh, we, we actually use Rubicon now, but we're more uh, purely on the provider side for our community clinics. We provide specialty uh, e-consultations for them. Uh, we are moving all of our primary care and more of our specialties onto Rubicon e-consult platform. So we're expecting to have a better and more cohesive uh, e-consultation platform uh, uh, for, our, uh, for those services. And Is there a Rubicon for dummies for the two? Trustees, we don't sit on QPSC just to know what it's uh, You know, we'd like to. Yeah, yeah. We, can, we can share that with you. Don't yeah. create anything if we don't have it. We'll, we'll look it up. Is it in the, do we have something in the uh, QPSC? Yeah, yeah, I think it was in QPC two months ago by Dr. Barbaria. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we can, we can. I could do it in about two minutes if you, you wanted. Would you like to, please? Um, uh, Rubicon is a electronic platform with a very good UI, good, very good user interface. There are currently about eight services that, that do it. GI is one of the services. So any provider out in the community can put in a detailed consult question. I have a patient who's 45. She has an ultrasound which shows gallstone. She has abnormal liver tests and she has abdominal pain. They can send that to us and then it, it comes across in our email and I could probably pull one up for you uh, in, a, in a second. And it has a very detailed description with all the laboratory. It's sort of like, I don't want to call it a virtual patient, but it's de-identified right now so to not break HIPAA. We can respond to that patient, well, I would get, I would refer this person to surgery, or I would follow the LFTs or what have you. And we can send it back to them. And that sort of saves the primary care doctor from actually having to send the patient physically to see us. That's the current iteration that we have right now. So it's basically like getting a virtual console. And you can give detailed, you can put images, you, it, it, it's, it's quite a nice user platform. The, the vision going forward is to actually use it as a, 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 a true referral system where, where a referral can come to me and I can say either A, we need to see this patient physically, or B, I can give you what, what I would recommend if I saw the patient, or C, this person doesn't need to come to us. And it will allow us to triage these patients and then uh, it'll be, uni it'll be uh, uniform across all referral specialties so that it will be a single platform for any referring doctor to use. Right now, only our external uh, uh, colleagues do that from the CHCN. Our internal uh, primary care teams do not use Rubicon at all. They, they refer through another system. So right now we actually have multiple systems to make referral. The move towards Rubicon is, is um, eagerly anticipated because it will simplify it for, for, for everyone. Everyone will know, know, know to go to one platform to make referrals, adjudicate referrals, and track referrals. Two minutes. So can I ask, um, yes. I mean, now's as good a time as any because I was going to bring it up. So two things. One, 
Why then do we see a decrease in specialty care projected? It seems like with Rubicon, you, is it because we become tele or e-referrals? So that, that no, 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 it's actually, it's still, it's still it's, we're doing a broader specialty care uh, redesign effort, and there are certain not services. No, it's happening with Rubicon. There are certain services where we're expecting to see uh, decreased uh, um, uh, volume, and actually, uh, is, is it three of them? Can you, t I, I can't. FIS can be like a rather result. No, I can't. Optometry is one, and it's related to the uh, training program that they can't see patients on Saturdays. Is that what it is? Yeah, and so we're, we're, we have to revise that. Uh, dermatology is one, and that was related to a comment you heard earlier, so we're going to talk about this. So we'll tell you that in a second. I'll come back to that. And the third is actually it's offset by an uptick in women's procedures that we're expecting to have. And you heard um, uh, Dr. Hearn mention that when we're talking about OBGYN. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll turn it over to uh, Dr. Um, Jamaluddin to talk about uh, dermatology and why you're in, in uh, Is it true about Rubicon not interfacing with Epic? So uh, at, at this point, I think the answer to that is yes. We uh, are in process because we're not the only provider in the area. In fact, San Francisco generally uses uh, Rubicon, which is part of the inspiration for this. And so there have been ongoing discussions with Rubicon and Epic about uh, creating this um, this uh, interface so that that can happen. Um, it is a case we expect, because as Dr. Bouquet was mentioning, Rubicon is not just e-consult, but uh, you could also do referrals from there, or actual, uh, yeah, um, yeah, you could, you could flip right from that to actually scheduling an appointment for yeah. a patient. Uh, you can transfer records, and in an Epic, we won't need to use those functionalities, but right now, Epic doesn't have an e-consult uh, um, uh, functionality. Yeah. So we've been talking about it about do yeah. you anticipate we are giving that functionality or will you work with us because we see inherent value in this and making sure that we still continue to maintain this uh, resource for both of ourselves and our partners going forward. Because it does sound, the way you described Rubicon sounded like the sort of thing I would think Epic would do. Yes. Uh, about a doctor talking to another doctor about a patient sharing information and then making a judgment or a decision like but, but also remember, some of these are, we, uh, for the specialists, we, we take referrals from outside our, our system, someone who may not necessarily be on the network platform. It's, it's not, I, I don't know uh, uh, how well Epic is structured right now to be the provider to provider uh, a chat in that way. Uh, this is what happens, it's basically a virtual curbside chat. And, and, and if you don't mind, I'd like yes. to so I got two Rubicon referrals, one at 6.07 p.m., one at 5.39 p.m. All I have to do is click the link and here it is, here's the referral. And I can say all these things because this is a de-identified patient. This is a 22-year-old female, and he gives the, the friend out gives all the data and asks a simple question. Should I keep this patient on medicine for hepatitis B? I was planning to continue monitoring at one month, two months, and three months later. So we can actually, one of my docs actually just referred to him. I mean, it's just a reply. Thank you for the consult. I would not discontinue this medicine after pregnancy as stopping antivirals has a high risk of reactivation. The endpoint of therapy would be so-and-so. Hope this helps. Call with further questions. Was and that an internal referral? No, uh, no, no because internal internal people don't have access to Rubicon. Okay. So this doesn't result in an encounter. It's not the same as a true e-visit, which would create a billable. Right, not at this point, no. Right. So that's the challenge of all this is because uh, it's it just the environment you want to see everybody. Sure. So, well, no, but I mean, this does, uh, you know, especially in a capitated environment, it's the perfect thing. It's perfect, yeah. 
But I mean, in terms of whether or not it's an encounter for those yeah. numbers, right? It's, it's not. No. no. Yeah. But usually, uh, if you look at the uh, um, monthly statistics, it's one of the things that we show you we're well overperforming on uh, because these eight services have been uh, doing it, in addition to the ones that we have internally, have been really uh, good about it. And actually, we gave you, we have Laura Miller, who's a CMO for uh, uh, the Community Healthcare Network, come and present on the, the robustness and the uh, success that we've had thus far in terms of all the different services, the timeliness of uh, the e-consults, they're getting answers in less than four hours, uh, whereas, you know, oftentimes, uh, if you're waiting on an appointment or a visit, you're talking days to weeks. But is there going to be a difference between what, what might become reimbursable under kind of Medicare or one of the other payers between this and something that's more like an e-visit. Uh, you know, there's, yes, kind of, yes. there's a different category of visit that yeah. becomes an e-visit versus yeah. this e-consult. Consult. Yes. Well, you know, I guess you well, we call it e-consult. Yeah, but it's not officially like an e-consult that might be reimbursed. Right, so those are the robust dialogues that all of us are going to be having because responding right. to those might actually take 20 minutes of thought to think through and type through all that kind of thing. So that's time which currently under the current structure isn't reasonable. And, right. and there's a strong right. argument for yeah. the value of it. It, it, it could be. Uh, did you want to add something to that, Tendra? No, I just wanted to echo. Okay, yeah. all right. I see you in the amen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, uh, I'll keep moving. No, oh, uh, uh, Dr. Jamal, yes. yes. yeah. yeah. um, yeah. Thank you, thank you, Taft. Thank you for the question. Uh, before I answer dermatology, I answer the consult. I think it's of public uh, uh, consult. I see extreme value for the patients. I have a clinic tomorrow. I looked at my charts. 11 charts, probably four of them don't need to come in case I can connect with the provider and give them instructions. Mm -hmm. It doesn't usually take me 20 minutes, it takes between 5 to 10 minutes max. Mm -hmm. Even reviewing, uh, sometimes they send a CT scan uh, report or a PFT report, takes a few, few more minutes. Uh, but again, you know, it is variable, it could be more for gastroenterologists. So to go to dermatology and what happened in dermatology, uh, well, basically, uh, dermatology, the way it is structured currently at, uh, in our FQAC in Highland is under the uh, medical executive uh, staff of Highland. Uh, it is under the Department of uh, Medicine as a division. So we have a leader, her name is uh, Dr. Baden, you might have met her, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and there also the operational uh, leadership of Dr. Palav Babaria. So uh, they like manage this service. So we, we have observed our two things. One is we had negative margin of $1 million, approximately $1 million. It could be maybe a little less, maybe a little bit more. The other thing, we have had complaint from patients. The model currently um, depends on Dr. Toby Maurer, who is a full-time physician at San Francisco General, and she has a part-time physician with us here. So we pay them a contract that they supervise the nurse practitioners. But what we have found is that uh, for the same uh, episodes of treatment, sometimes it's taking four to five visits, and patients have complained about it. So what's happening, the patient comes, they take pictures, they send the Dr. Maurer, they bring the patient back, then they, they so they communicate through this platform uh, of uh, web, uh, it's, it's another contract that we have which is different than Rubicon. So uh, we are not stopping the service, we are redesigning the service and uh, 
we respect a great deal our nurse practitioners and what they have done, but we want to have a more uh, uh, patient-centered uh, uh, platform or, or model uh, and uh, where it is also more sustainable from, from the like, uh, fiscal standpoint. You know, it's $1 million negative margin in this. We are looking to see what, what we can do, but also besides the cost, I think to have four or five visits sometimes to treat one episode, uh, is, is not patient-centered, I mean, even if we can build for these episodes. So that's that's basically the high level. I will ask Dr. Bavaria to come. And, uh, QPSC will be ambulatory care next month, so she will present a more detail. We are working on a transition plan, so it's not like uh, we are working on a transition plan uh, from several aspects. One is to make uh, the model more effective and patient-centered through is to see how we can uh, first uh, focus on value for the patients and then see what we can get in terms of revenue to have a more efficient model. Is there some way that we can measure that with patient satisfaction, <coughs> some other so, metric? So yeah, we have, uh, we yeah. have the press gaming platform and uh, we have been working on uh, really uh, with the value uh, with, the, uh, with the VP of quality and his team to really have more, uh, more uh, like uh, I call it veracity of data as, as, it, as it belongs to the, to the uh, patient satisfaction. So uh, there is a number of issues that we deal with because of our electronic health records uh, that uh, you know, in my previous life was, I didn't even see this as a problem, but now that we are facing a problem in terms of veracity of data. So what we depend on is uh, we scan all our negative comments, especially when it mentions a physician, and we talk to these physicians. I have had conversations with physicians telling them this is what the, the patients are talking to, but then we need to have more, more like uh, uh, effective data. So we are working, we are working on having our press gainy uh, platform more, more effective in, in providing such data. Okay. So will this be for a, for a brief period of break in service while this transitions out, and then you're redesigning? what the next iteration of this terminology will be? So, uh, so that's what we are working on to see how we can uh, like uh, bridge this, this platform uh, while we are fair to the organization in terms of the cost. The, the previous model was, was built based like on volume and I, I don't think we had a very clear uh, idea about the margin, about the revenue. As, but when we started to look at like action or I and look at all our services, we started to see these, we call them outliers, mm -hmm. and we started to dig deep and try to, to see what we can do to, to improve this. And, uh, you know, I can, I can feel uh, their pain because, uh, I mean, it is not it is not them who found themselves in this structure, you know. Uh, I, I mean, I own it as a problem. And uh, the doctor has uh, entrusted me. He said, you know, I want to have a very clear plan, which is patient-centered, and that's what we are working on right now. I mean, we had the same, uh, uh, if you remember, about 15 months ago also with the pain clinic. And we had, like, very good people in the pain clinic, 
but now we redesigned it. It was painful, but now it is a model. It is a model that is uh, people are following our steps. Actually, they are presenting in national meetings about our model of the pain clinic right now that addresses different aspects of pain. Mm -hmm. No pain, no gain. Is this a discussion about specific services now? Sorry, what was this? Is this a, uh, is this a discussion about specific services? There was a specific There was concern because of the many voices that were raised right. earlier by the public about the dermatology. Right. We were so in that particular line about the volume. Uh, uh, well, then my question would be about, as I go back to um, FTEs, okay. about the um, Med surge. Is that because of at San Leandro? Is that because of the construction? Yes, the third floor. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Yes. Well, I'm sorry. I realize it's seven thirty. It is, but I really I, we have a group come forward, and they claim that our actions in this budget are about to cause patients to wait an extraordinarily long period of time for service that they were not waiting for. You can understand why we get a little concerned about it. And, and so no, we, appreciate um, that. we don't we don't want to I mean the budget, you know, and its impact on patient care is is I mean a budget is a policy document as well. So yeah. um, Right. And you will bring updates, you said, to QPSC yes, about I will, uh, I will ask Dr. Babaria and Dr. Maiden to come and present. And uh, we are working with Dr. Toby Maurer and with, uh, with the NPs about having uh, a transition and transition plan. Currently, CHCN depends largely on the, uh, on the Rubicon. Uh, so, so that so primary care physicians is empowered in, into, and then they have also uh, private, uh, uh, like uh, specialists, like uh, dermatologists who see the patient directly. So we want the patient to come just for one visit and just take care of things, and then it could be followed by their primary care provider. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Right. Uh, and so those those drivers then, so the combination of these two pages then become the roll-up of then the forecast, so uh, budgeted for this year, oh, I'm sorry, the proposed, budgeted for this year, forecast for the remainder of the year, uh, and the full year, and then forecast, or proposed for 2019, and you can see the slight changes reflected there, so in, increases in uh, um, uh, areas like our de uh, deliveries, slight decrease, or increase in deliveries, uh, uh, slight uptick in surgeries, and then decreases in most other areas except uh, our traditional clinic visits, okay? So now that then becomes, we take all of that and we uh, 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 put pen to paper and, and uh, look at our, our, our pyramids and our, our other uh, um, underlying numbers and we put that into an operational budget. I mean, the only thing that's really growing is our clinic visits, and they've been dismal since I've been a trustee, or lower beyond budget. I mean, right? They're 3.9% up is what you're pr predicting, and everything else is either negative or flat. Flat. Or 2 oh, flat. Yeah, everything is mostly flat. But so these are going up a little bit as well. Okay. But yeah, we're, we're projecting that there's, there's nothing there's nothing substantive about what we're doing in terms of operations beyond the things that we mentioned uh, that would pretend for any large shift in any of these uh, uh, global statistics. So we are banking on that 7% ambulatory growth. Seven uh, percent. Yeah, it was seven. Mm -hmm. uh, wait, seven. The four, three point nine you're talking about here. 
No, I mean, oh, primary care. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So overall, yeah, it's in good balance. So primary care uh, to go by seven percent, and then specialty to go down by about ten percent. Yeah, yeah. And that's where outpatient psych is happening, going down because the county is providing some services. Uh, no, remind me the driver for this. I think is related to. Uh, some changes. Well, it is. It, it, it's it's uh, the outpatient psychiatric is directly influenced by the by the lower volumes in PES. That was one of the primary uh, referral sources was the PES because the volumes in PES are going down because of a lot of the different interventions that are currently taking right. place in the county okay. with all the different crisis stabilization units and things like that. Okay. Okay. That's a good point. Thank you. Mm. I was more chest and checkers. I didn't. I didn't go back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. As you know, I'm in kind of peace with this budget based on you know, last year of our strategic direction away from heightened profitability. Um, but, but if we're flat, the thing that I've been thinking about since finance is why, you know, we've discussed general and administrative expenses that mm -hmm. have been high, mm -hmm. they were high year ago, mm -hmm. high this year, and yet they're forecast up 11% in this budget. Why? Uh, uh, Two-thirds of that is the <laughs> foundation contract. Uh, so it's a million dollars uh, increase from the experience for the, uh, 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 the foundation. And then and support goes under... General administrator, yeah, because it, it comes through as a contracting line item uh, right, yes. uh, from the foundation. But it's, on, it's not seven, it's only two, it's only a million and a half more a year versus what we're spending now, right? Correct. Correct. So it's a million more, so that's, that's, that's part of the two million, three. One point three. And then the other. And as a percentage, how much is that then? Of the 11% increase, how much is the 1.3 for the foundation? Uh, the bulk of it. So, uh, so the 11% the, the increase in GNA, uh, general administrative, is, is two things. It's uh, the foundation, which is about 1.3 million, and then 700,000, which is related to HR engagement activities that we're doing for our staff, just like the A's game and the day at the zoo and, and uh, staff surveys, surveys, the surveys we doctors and our staff, and that's what that is. That's not an under employee benefit. No, yeah. it's under general administrative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, question. Hmm. Um, okay. So thank you uh, uh, for that, uh, Trustee Thompson. So, so I want, uh, in the interest of time, uh, um, I mean, the, 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 the rest of the detail sort of flows from that uh, foundation that we just presented. And so uh, there are some additional details here about specific line items, whether it's in net patient services and how dollars go from one and uh, from net patients who supplemental or what's happening in, uh, within those dollars, whether it's for pro fee or for uh, facility uh, fees, uh, what's happening or, or what we know uh, in anticipation to happen with the various supplemental uh, funding sources over the course of the year um, uh, is included here, and that takes care of all of the uh, the top line part of it for net patient services. And as uh, um, sorry, with the in mix, we don't see any uh, substantive change in, in pyramids mix overall. Um, uh, so that then pulls us there down to our expense side, and as you saw, like so that was a 2.5 percent improvement on uh, revenue, uh, uh, net revenue, and then a 2 percent increase uh, overall on operating expenses comprised of the different areas. Um, 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 those pieces are explained in some detail here. Happy to discuss any of them afterwards. Uh, we discussed a one line item that's kind of an outlier there, which is the general administrative, and that was the piece we we're just talking about, sort of the composition of the, the two million. Uh, uh, increase there. Um, the rest of it is put here for salary and wages. We have reflected MOU increases. We have two uh, contracts uh, out right now in negotiation, so UAPV and uh, uh, UHW. Uh, yeah, UHW, uh, SEIU, and uh, uh, certainly, uh, sorry, uh, about me, the skilled nursing facilities. Okay, so, so, so three. 
uh, contracts out. We've uh, uh, done a rough projection of what we expect, uh, what we expect those uh, contracts to land, given our current realities and uh, goals we'd like to achieve. Uh, scale makes adjustments. Uh, some of the other things we talked about in terms of uh, adjustments to prior approach to budgeting salary. Uh, benefits uh, we've talked a little bit about. We're going to bring more information uh, to the finance committee about kind of how these trends are uh, 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 sort of what we're experiencing on uh, retirement uh, and then uh, workers' comp. Uh, we show you uh, that we expect, uh, we're expecting our, uh, labor optimiz or our GPO optimization efforts to continue uh, pursuant to our back-to-budget plan and our, our contract with Visnet. Uh, and so we've appropriately accounted for that and in general administrative uh, we talked about a little bit already. Uh, so that and then we just break it down into greater detail here. Uh, the part, the portion here was just uh, intended, or this slide was intended to just show you that as the um, uh, cost for salary, wages, and benefits uh, uh, increases slightly, there uh, that the um, the ratio of uh, FTEs per um, adjusted occupied bed remains relatively flat um, from the experience that we've uh, uh, experienced or had over the course of this fiscal year. And then the non-labor expenses, just a little bit more detail again, uh, so it's a bit repetitive. And this just shows you in a graphical format uh, that, that there are no uh, um, discernible wild swings in any of our expense uh, sort of categories uh, uh, overall from, from forecasts for this year and post for next year. Um, this just in one down to the bottom, so all of that rose up to a 4.6 uh, in the proposed 4.6 equal margin uh, target with a 3% operating margin. You see collection ratio uh, at 19.6%, sort of uh, consistent with uh, our experience that we've had uh, this year, um, uh, with a uh, slight adjustment uh, in the detail of um, uh, shifts of dollars from net patient service revenues down to um, uh, supplementals, but the overall being close to uh, what we've experienced here to date. Okay, uh, when we expense trends, so you'll see uh, uh, what, what you'd like to see, or at least uh, directionally what you'd like to see, which is that uh, uh, revenues are staying ahead, uh, or, and the revenue growth is 2.5 uh, to a 2% operating expense growth, and so uh, just a graphical reflection of uh, kind of what you want to see as a, uh, at least a healthy uh, um, uh, uh, training, uh, for, for those two lines. And this is chart showing uh, tapering off of the increase. Uh, so this is actually, uh, so it's actually, I can't, there's such a glare in there. Uh, yeah, so actual, actual 16, actual 17, forecast for 18, and then proposed for, for 19. So it's actually, uh, I guess there is a, a bit of a flattening because of, uh, um, uh, for 16, uh, a big of a, a part of our growth was catch up in revenues from uh, prior years. The other two years, we've experienced some uh, um, revenue from close out of things like um, MCE to cost and other things that we don't expect to experience again in this year. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a little bit of a sort of tapering off of the growth that we've had the other year. And then uh, the other part is with the waiver. Um, um, the first couple of years of the waiver were the, the most generous years of the waiver. And so a lot of the ex, uh, supplemental revenue expense in those years have also taken off uh, uh, for the next In January of this year, we had a uh, net loss. Why is the line not, why isn't the expense line crossed over the income for that one, one month? Uh, that, was, that was on a month-to-month -month basis. And so, so then year-to-year, -year, again, if we achieve our goal of 4.1, then we, we, we course correct. So if you look at that, yeah, this is uh, a couple of years. Oh, 
Right, so it's just the data points are just the full year to assign. I can't do 12 slashes through your year. No, you can't. Not from this. No, there are swings within that okay. all throughout all of, all of those years that we see. Actually, that brings up a question I had. Um, it does seem, I mean, we, we, we start slow, it gets worse, and then it gets better towards the end of the fiscal year. Um, at least that's what happened this year. And, I, yes. and I, I, I think I recall that happening in years past. So, But last year we blew the year in the last two months of the year because of some of our MCD costs. It was the last month. So I guess the, my question for us, as we look at our financials each month, um, do you do, I, I mean, you can't do monthly or seasonal or quarterly projections in a way that well, we, we expect not to get certain reimbursements. Their budget, yeah, sure. yeah, that, that investment. Sure. Yeah. It's always slow and then yeah. kind of picks up. It's supposed to. But the budget should, should account for that. Yes. And so there's always the previous year's month, which would. Which would oh, right. We will compare previous yeah, year's month. Okay. Right. Now, right. Nancy did mention this in her uh, finance committee uh, uh, presentation. The other thing, obviously, uh, uh, said that the finance committee has asked us to do is the uh, uh, rolling forecast. Right. So the forecast is where we have actually then uh, looking on a month-over-month -month basis to look out to see what's going to happen in the other month. So, so we, 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 we do expect that the swings will occur relative to reimbursement cycles and what's happening with various uh, programs, uh, as well as what's happening within the organization. The budget uh, uh, contemplates all of that, but uh, honestly still not to this point to a great degree of granularity for each of those programs. It's really more driven by the uh, the, the, the days in a month, the number of weekdays in that month, and sort of the revenue and the expenses as we expect them to play out based off of that, that type of uh, trend. I don't know if there's other data points that we well, need to drive out. Helen's back there, but I mean, I think we're working on trying to build some seasonality into the budget no. this time, so. Um, Hopefully. Right. Uh, in, in this in this previous year, we were pretty much flat. Mm -hmm. You know, we just took the the budget and 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 you know, kind of divided it by twelve. Mm -hmm. And 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 so we were pretty much flat. And so that didn't you know. So this year, you know, with Nancy and the team, we're we're, we're looking at making sure that every month is more reflective of what the historical performance yeah. has been. So the budget is reflected. It's worthless in terms of. Um, assessing seasonality, but the month from the previous corresponding year would be more of a bellwether with the month, how the month should perform. At least a, a, a closer sort of approximation to what happened that time and, and what, what would be the sources of why they're different this time. That would depend on when the flu season hits as well, right? Exactly. Flu <laughs> season hitting. We lost money on that, yeah. so no more flu for me. January, <laughs> <laughs> our volumes went up and we lost money. Yeah. So. Uh, that was because of uh, things that we had to realize, actually. I think uh, overall we, we did better. Uh, at least, I, I hate this, it's feels so passive to say it, but greater volume still helps us. Yes. Uh, and it's still our case. So, so, so no, and we had a longer, we had an earlier and a longer few season than was expected. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just want to remember this conversation in December. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Or so if we look like we're off course, yeah, that's all. Well, the other thing, as you recall, too, um, uh, the salary piece that we talked about, uh, this one thing yes. that we later realized, and so mm -hmm. we're hoping that that, that that this approach will actually then uh, sort of relieve some of that anxiety related to uh, uh, that uh, experience that we were having as well and didn't catch until later uh, uh, when we uh, t uh, looked at it a bit more closely. But to be clear, we were off course for eight months and had missed the previous year. Mm -hmm. At the very end of the year, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, we've, we've got some great bakes on some supplementals this year. 
we're starting to look at the expense quotient, so there have been some miracles and some finessing on the supplemental that have helped us out. All, all legit. Uh, uh, yes. The yes. public hospitals always get miracles on supplementals. That's what we survive on, isn't yes. it? Yes. I mean, that's kind of it's, the name it's, of the it's game. It's a part of the sauce. And it will, uh, until, until healthcare financing in the U.S. changes, it will, it will likely continue to be a part of the sauce. That's weird. Uh, so, so, weird. so, okay, again, this is the roll-up. So this is what you would call, as we currently do, the budget. And this is, this is how we've re reflected it out. We just went through all the, the top part and then the bottom part, uh, uh, admittedly not in as much detail as we did in the Finance Committee, but it's all there for you, and we've talked about uh, some of it, and, and then what the ratios look like as a result of that. Uh, then we get to the capital budget decharge. So the full budget is the uh, operating budget and the capital budget. And the capital budget was the bottom part of that overall long-range financing plan. So it's what are the capital needs that we see for the organization. Uh, this is just the, it doesn't include the debt obligation part of it. This is the investments we're making in the organization. And so uh, focusing on FY19, we'll see that uh, we, we have reduced what has historically been a little bit larger amount of dollars that we spent on facilities, equipment, and IT because we're, we're not expecting that beyond the major projects that we're doing around uh, Alameda Hospital and San Leandro Hospital and Epic, that those are, are we really kind of going from our routine capital needs uh, on an emergent basis with a few other outliers. Uh, so we've reduced that and we've reduced it at least for the next year uh, as we continue to focus on our EMR and those other big projects that uh, we'll be bringing online. Uh, to that end, those other big projects are the San Leandro Key Rehab, uh, the Seismic uh, 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 Retrofit at Alameda Hospital, Highland MRI, which as you know, the, the dollars are already raised for this, so we're expecting to experience the cost for that this year, and then the dollars transfer over from the foundation to cover that cost. Um, the Highland ED Imaging Upgrade is a, a, a project that the foundation is fundraising for right now, um, uh, and I uh, believe, uh, or have a high degree of confidence they'll get. If they do, we'll do this. San, San Leandro Imaging, again, uh, um, if uh, a campaign is um, um, sort of started in earnest, if they are able to uh, secure the dollars and they feel uh, uh, perhaps, perhaps a little less confident, but that's so confident uh, from the efforts that they've already put on the way that they'll be able to do this uh, next year as well. And then, of course, the behemoth is our epic expenses, our EMR expenses. Uh, line six, is that where it works? This one? Yes. Yeah. Where are what are the numbers based on? Are they based on the accepted um, OSHPAD? Uh, the proposed OSHPAD project, yes. So have we gotten OSHPAD approval of those numbers? Is that no, OSHPAD doesn't approve numbers. They've approved the project itself, but we have scoped the cost of the project based off of uh, what we presented. So they, have they... Didn't we have a June 1 something deadline for plans? A uh, July 1 and... Uh, uh, June to do it. Uh, correct. And that's kitchen and morgue, too, right? It's the whole thing, yeah. Don't forget the morgue, like the seismic, yeah, yeah. They go together. Yeah, they go together. Ingredients. Maybe we should send out as a board. We'll be happy to do that. Luis presented to, actually, I think we do have it on the Finance Committee project. That's where you asked for it. And so next month, we're planning to do an update on the Alameda project, right, in the Finance Committee? Correct. Is that right? Yeah. So. So you'll hear more about this uh, uh, in a few weeks. Okay. Are we ever going to develop a strategy with the Alameda Hospital Foundation to see what synergies we can 
in a more formal way? I know I've had discussions with them with Deborah. Yeah, uh, I, I did in the, independently uh, shortly after coming on board because uh, the president at the time was a long-term, well, a long uh, uh, colleague uh, who I know. Um, I'll just say that not a lot of traction has happened uh, beyond, I think, cursory conversations. Uh, we are, uh, um, Louisa and the team, though, kind of talking to some of the folks now to try to uh, put a little bit more steam behind that, particularly as we do more to uh, invest in the campus from a technology or facilities perspective. Uh, it is the case that the foundation is still supporting probably a much smaller uh, foundation. Uh, I think uh, my personal opinion is we would be well uh, uh, served by merging efforts, but uh, we, we, we have to uh, get them uh, open to that, and there was nothing from the cursory conversation I had that were that expressed any sort of enthusiasm about the, the, the idea. So. Well, we might, I mean, I don't want to just go on my home bases, and I don't want to create riots in the streets with Tracy's neighbors, but we are leaving millions of dollars on the table, and if they don't want to raise it, and, you know, we're helping their hospital, um, we need to have a more serious conversation, I think. Okay. Okay. To be fair, to be fair, we signed a joint powers agreement that said that this would I'm not talking about the kitchen. There's okay. a, the, there's something oh, falling off that hospital every day that needs to be tacked on. So, sure. you yeah. know, if they don't want to help the kitchen, fine. But, yeah. Um, we just about know, Kurt, nothing fell off the door. Like on the beach house, you know, yeah. it's always going to be. <laughs> <laughs> so now I feel like I have to say something else. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> uh, We're going to have that on our next finance committee. You'll yeah. talk about yes. the facilities yeah. at Alameda. Great. Thank you. All right, we'll move on. Uh, so that's it, and then this just puts it all back together. Uh, so this was the slide we started with. Now you see how we would drive the EBITDA target, how we're going to get uh, the uh, what comprises the capital expenses and how they get funded, and then you saw how that uh, uh, is reflected in the net negative balance line. And then, questions? We've probably asked them all at this point. Any, any other questions? I think I saw the finance committee, I'll say it again, because I think it's important to say we're at the end of a very long economic uh, expansion. Yes. And we're due for another dip. And so, I spent, I think, 10 years on the Measure A Oversight Committee, mm -hmm. and I saw the 09 drop um, as a committee member mm -hmm. in retrospect. Mm -hmm. And it really hurt this system and a lot of other things the county does with it. Yes. So um, it's not, a, it, there's not a question here, there's just a Hello. It's an admonition, and, and I, I, I sure appreciate it. Nancy can tell you, uh, uh, we were talking today, so so we do, particularly as it relates to supplemental funding, a lot of that work, obviously Measure is a unique uh, Alameda County piece, but all the other pieces of our supplementals are, are uh, kind of a part of a California-wide public hospital effort, and, and over the last uh, week or so in our board meetings, uh, we've been having that hello conversation, right, in terms of, you know, we have um, some good signs, so the EPP and the QIP, uh, were approved for one year. Science thinks suggests that getting five-year approvals on those won't be an issue uh, from a regulatory perspective. Now, thinking about how we structure those and how much of uh, the waiver dollars we can and want to move into them in terms of uh, exposure is a different piece, but there are other elements around uh, Prime and GPP and whole person care and the health home pilots and 
what else am I forgetting? Uh, there's a couple of others um, um, uh, that are quite ominous, uh, I would say, if I just sort of look at the total picture and kind of thinking about, uh, we're, we're spending a lot of time now uh, uh, grappling with the hypotheticals and trying to think about uh, what might be a uh, both a, uh, a an acceptable and reasonable uh, path forward that would uh, address some of the concerns that we have. So, so that is not reflected here, and I appreciate you underscoring it uh, because, quite honestly, the only thing I could do to reflect is basically FY20 and put a big X through it, or 21 put a big X through it, and say, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, so that, that this is sort of uh, a status quo picture under the presumption that we will figure it out, but that is a big presumption. You don't have a literal, you know, recession happening, so I don't think that we know. What is our revenues drop from Measure A in the Great Recession? It was, I think, about 20 million. Yeah, so 20 percent. Million yeah. dollars isn't going to be a fun day, but it's not life-threatening. But didn't Trump say we're going to grow, 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 grow? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just borrow. We're going to keep winning. We're going to be tired of winning. We're going to be tired of winning. Five trillion dollars. Uh, and then there's a bunch of supplemental documents here, so you have even more uh, detail for your proposal. And uh, as I said, uh, um, I appreciate the indulgence. Uh, we're going to bring it through for approval next month and uh, happy to entertain it. Thank you. I, I have one ignorance clarification question. My yes, ignorance. No substance. Total. Um, uh, on the non-labor expense system, uh, expense for the system, yes, why are contracted physician services listed under non-labor expense? Just as, as an accounting thing for me. Why are you non-labor? Because they aren't, they aren't actual salary and okay, so uh, that we pay. Even though it's labor, it's, 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 it's accounting. Right, so it's either through a contract with HP or a contract with OK or a contract with someone else. And on your, or their, sorry, um, lines, they will show up as salary and labor. Okay. Yeah. Why wouldn't the registry be on non-labor expense? Uh, I think it's straight out of it. Oh, no, because we pay those. We don't pay the physician? No, we don't pay the physician. We pay, we pay the, well, I should say, we don't pay all the physicians. We pay our UAPD docs. We don't pay the other, yes. other, like, yeah, the other contractor physicians. They bill for their themselves. They bill us through a contract, and then they pay their salaries through whatever organized structure they're in. Yes, including the HP. So on an AHP budget, what is a contracted position expense for us would be salary and uh, benefits on theirs. Okay. So good question. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think in that we're done. Our, 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 uh, our community reports were all written, so I don't think we need to accept anything, right? Um, I think we're ready to move to closed session. So, uh, are we adjourning to closed session or just moving to closed session? Well, we will adjourn to closed session. There are a couple of items to be uh, discussed in the Government Code Section 9.9.6.9 and the performance evaluation uh, for the Municipal Chief Executive Officer. It's plus one hour. All right, here we go. That was only plus one hour, Mr. President.